Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. When you look at it, you're debating once we get healthy, does he go back to the pen and bridge you to your back end? Uh, do you keep him in the rotation? He continues to to throw well and show that he's more than capable of being in that starting rotation and being a, a legit dude for us. So we'll weigh our options once we're healthy and figure out what's best. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kiley. How about Andre Pallante, ladies and gentlemen? I know Tanner. Oh, I love that guy. Has been telling us about Andre Pallante for months at this point in time. I thought he was on a Ferrari 05. We all fell in love with him early in the season as a reliever. He's now starting to show you what he can do as a starter. In his last three starts, Alex, I think the thing that is most impressive to me, 18 and two-thirds innings in his last three starts now for the Cardinals. Yesterday, maybe the most important number, 96 pitches. Got you through seven. Ended up giving up just two earned runs. Gave you every opportunity to win against a legit ace on the other side. If I'm going out there with my four or five starter and you've got your ace on the mound and I have a chance to win and I'm leading going into the ninth inning, man, that is one hell of a job by Andre Pallante. He has now earned an opportunity to get extended run as a starter. Alex, what stood out to you since Andre Pallante has made this transition as a starter? One is the ability to go deeper into games. I think that is a, a crucial piece because usually when you get like a Andre Pallante individual, somebody coming out of the bullpen and then you're utilizing them in the rotation, you're kind of babying that player because you're not wanting to go too deep. You don't want to lose the arm. You don't want to risk injury. But with Andre Pallante, I mean, it really feels like they look at it as we're going to get everything we can out of this guy. And the fact that he was able to throw, what was it, 96 pitches last night, that was impressive. One, the movement on his pitches is always fascinating to me. And really, it's just the even keel presence of Andre Pallante, because in a game and I heard uh, Jim Edmonds and Danny Mack talking about this. You know, if you ask a player about going pitch by pitch against an opposition's ace like a Sandy Alcantara, the the manager is going to be like, yeah, not so much there. But the player is going to be like, oh, yeah, I'm focusing on that. And you go back to Michaelis doing that with McClanahan from Tampa. And Pallante just did that with arguably the best pitcher in the National League. So the even keel presence of Andre Pallante, that's what I think has been most impressive throughout this first chunk of the season and right now he deserves more rotation time yeah i'm with you 100 percent because you know 
I know that you're not supposed to look at it and say, okay, we don't want to see the starter going up against his counterpart in Sandy Alcantara. But, I mean, that was when I really noticed that Miles Michaelis was back. And I think we were at the game. I think it was the game Gallegos didn't cover first because he's still yeah. not over it. But I mean, uh, either, man. it was when Michaelis went up Sorry, against buddy. Max Scherzer and he basically matched him. And that's when you knew Michaelis was back to form. Palante going up against Sandy Alcantara and basically going pitch for pitch with him and able to get you through seven innings, which is the most impressive part of it because – I said yesterday, like, six innings was the goal for Andre Pallante yesterday. And honestly, because they had the back-end guys available in Gallegos and Helsley, which I didn't know if they would or not, five was probably a legitimate goal for Andre Pallante. That's probably what the Cardinals were hoping for in that start. And he was able to get you two more innings, get you that seventh inning. And honestly, I mean, if you had that kind of formula, that almost felt like what Milwaukee kind of hopes for with their starters. Whereas, look, he's not a Burns or anybody like that. But you get through seven innings, you turn to the back end of your bullpen, and you go, all right, this game's done. We've won this game. Pallante's been super impressive being stretched out. And I can't think of a guy, we were talking about this in the office, I can't think of a guy that's been projected as a bullpen arm, a guy that still looks like he's going to end up being a bullpen arm based on the way the Cardinals talk about him still. I don't know if I can remember a guy that was supposed to be a bullpen arm that ended up turning that kind of phrasing around him into becoming a starter because he's he's a legitimate number four starter for the Cardinals right now and he can hold that role I think moving forward. 65780 is the air comfort service text line. I, I find that to be an, a really interesting question. Who was the last guy that did this? That came into the big leagues and every expectation was this guy's going to be a re- reliever and you look at the way that his stuff plays, he's got crazy high spin rates, especially on his curveball. He's got the velocity that plays up, especially coming out of the bullpen where he's throwing 97 regularly out of the pen and he's around 95, 96 normally as a starter. It's good stuff, regardless of where he, whether he's starting or as a reliever and all throughout the minors, he was a starter for them. Who was the last guy that did this though? Expect to expectation was that's a reliever and then just no way. Actually, that guy's going to be a starter, and there's a chance that he sticks in the rotation, and they just force their way into the conversation because that's what Andre Pallante has done. Here's Ollie Marmel after the game talking about Andre Pallante and what impressed him about his ability to get deep within that game. That's the thing. like Because he's on the ground as much as he is, he doesn't miss a ton of bats. He can get quick outs. He can have that 8-pitch inning, 11-pitch inning, uh, which allows him to go deeper in games today really nice job it was such an impressive start by him man and i know that lineup is not great over on miami and they had the unfortunate news right before the game with jorge soler being out with his lower back issue so it's not a great lineup i don't care i I don't need any qualifiers to see this is not a one-off for andre palante if this was zach thompson who came up and it's the first opportunity that he had in the big leagues and he did this against that lineup okay sure i understand the hesitancy to buy in with Pallante, we've seen it so often at this point that it's no longer a small sample size for him. Here's the thing, though. I texted you guys this last night. I got to say it on the air. Andre Pallante is basically supercharged Dakota Hudson. We're back to this again, man. He throws harder than Dakota Hudson. In the same realm as him. Whoa. Oh, he's better than him. I don't know who won last night. He doesn't get a lot of the swing Marlins. and miss stuff. He he does. I I think that we've kind of put this off to the side, but he does walk more guys than you would want. And Tanner, we were talking about this before the show today. It's typically because he's just he's like falling off. I I don't really understand what mechanically goes wrong, but suddenly he's thrown seven balls in a row and then he fixes the mechanics and then he's right back on track. It's not as if he has command issues. His mechanics are just so funky that I think they get out of whack from time to time. But he does have some walk issues at times. 
again, he strikes basically nobody out. His stuff plays up, but for some reason, it doesn't get a lot of strikeouts. It, am I crazy? His windup is funky, isn't it? All of it. Like, yeah. all of it is funky. Like watching, he hides the ball really, really like well. Like, watching Pablo Lopez Monday night when we were there, like, he's got that same funky delivery, but, like, Palante looks like he's heaving back old school <laughs> style, like 1910s baseball, and then he just, like, this curveball right in the middle of the strike zone. And it's so overhand where it's yeah. coming o- over the top. It, it is looks a, like it's dangerous for his shoulder. Yeah, I don't know what, what to make of it, but <laughs> okay, it is. Good. Don't mention shoulders, please. Uh, no, sorry. He's basically supercharged Dakota Hudson, and I don't say that as a diss. Man, the Cardinals are going to have two Andre Pallante. I think it is helpful yeah. to have that guy at the back end of your rotation. The difference between the two is A, upside. Pallante, this is the first time that we've seen him in the big leagues, and so you, you think that he could be even better maybe than what we're seeing right now. And B, it's just expectations. The expectation, the hope, the belief for Dakota Hudson was, hey, that guy might be able to project as a number three starter. The expectations for Andre Pallante were non-existent. Most people didn't even think he was going to make the roster this year, much less being in your rotation for a decent majority of the season. I can see it, though, because at the first season of Dakota Hudson, that was the year that he won 16 games, and everyone was like, oh, man, where'd this kid come from? I didn't expect this out of Dakota Hudson, and this is, in all reality, the first year that people are really seeing Andre Pallante. I don't know what it is, if it's just about that first year when you get to see pitchers because Jordan Hicks was this way as well, and then you're carrying that over into the next couple of seasons, but whatever it might be with Andre Pallante, you just hope it sustains because you don't, you don't really have that many of these guys for you in your rotation that you can trust to give you seven innings. If you need to right now, it's Michaelis and Wainwright. And other than that, you just can't go beyond it. And the thing I find interesting about Pallante is like last night, he got a ton of ground balls. But he, <laughs> he did, I was looking at his uh, pitch selection from last night. He hardly threw any sinkers. I mean, he threw 14 sinkers. He threw 50 fastballs. So he was mostly sticking with his fastball. That was 52% of his usage was the fastball. But he's able to locate and keep you off balance because he has just, like we've mentioned, that great spin rate on the slider and the curveball. And it leaves guys off balance, and they end up hitting into the ground balls. You know what's funny? His four seam on the season, the launch angle on it, nobody hits it in the air. Nobody. It, it's almost, it's so weird with him because, like, it, you look at, what he's got in terms of the slider versus the curveball. The curveball for him is a better pitch than the slider is. It's it's funky. It's got crazy spin, and he seems to have better command of it. And the same thing is true of the four seam versus the sinker. The four seam plays as if it's it's almost a cutter. It plays as if it is a sinker, but it just comes in with this crazy action. Nobody can barrel it. Nobody barrels up balls against Andre Pallante. He's just a really fun pitcher to watch. He's weird. He's like, and not him, like the person, but his, his stuff he might be, we don't know is weird. He seems like a great guy. It, they say he acts as if nothing really bothers him. He, sometimes they joke that he doesn't know where he is. <laughs> he's that's, just like, he, hey, I'm going to go win a big league game. Um, but it's, it's been really impressive, man. This is, I, I know that Brendan Donovan is the classic Cardinals devil magic player because he's a position player and it's harder to kind of have those guys as, as, starters or relievers pitchers Andre Pallante is also a classic Cardinals devil magic player where he comes up and it's like who the bleep is that guy that's throwing 97 miles an hour and where did he come from
a couple of names that have been brought up as the part that I brought up, like who's a guy that was like projected to the bullpen and changed that narrative to starter. I've seen Braden Looper was one that I saw in the text line. And then RK texted this and we got a couple on the text line as well. Lance Lynn. I, and Lynn's, I, I don't remember Lynn being projected as a guy that was going to just be a bullpen arm. Maybe I'm remembering wrong, but he's an interesting comp, especially if you've got like, he never had the off speed pitch like we see from Palante, who's got the spin rate on the curve and the slider. But he threw 52% fastball, and that's what he was sticking with last night, and he mixed in a couple of sinkers. I mean, he was sitting around 60%, 70% in terms of just fastball slash sinker last night, and then he has a curveball that he can add to it, and he kind of reminds me a little bit of Lynn, not a whole lot, but I, I like the comp of a Lance Lynn potentially. I was like 12 at the time, but was Adam Wainwright this? No, he Wainwright was, projected was always as a starter. The starter. Joe yeah. Kelly is another one that we just got on the text line, um, but I don't really know. It's kind of the opposite with Joe Kelly. Joe Kelly was he viewed stuck, as the starter, and, he and then he stuck the in the bullpen. Yeah. What about, I don't remember a lot of it, but Tyler Lyons felt this way. Now, in the minors, I, I don't know if he started a whole lot, but. Yeah, he was he was like a spot starter, Came though. up in the bullpen. I, I just remember he had that one season that he was actually pretty okay in your rotation. Yeah. I, it, it's, it's, it's really tough. rare. I mean, the, the, the reason why it's a tough conversation is because, like, you don't see this. This guy has forced his way into the Cardinals conversation of being a legit starter, not just for now, but like, man, let's project forward of what this rotation is going to look like the next couple of years. Andre Pallante has at least forced the question of, is he a part of that? And coming into the season, never in a million years did I expect that to be the case. So uh, huge kudos to Andre Pallante. Looked great last night. Unfortunately, uh, we just kind of spoke glowingly about it. Uh, they lost that game. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> just because of the umpire. I, that was a big part of it. That was a strike. That was a strike. That was a strike. That's now, ridiculous. I will say, oh, Andrew yeah, Kisner. It was. <laughs> it was. Kisner did a poor job of framing it. He he moved it like seven inches in the zone. Probably shouldn't be doing that. Uh, that didn't Dang, help. He didn't fall for that one. Didn't help. But it, it was a strike. Herrera. And then two batters later, that ends up being the game-winning run. Certainly did not help. Here's a question for you guys. When Ryan Helsley came into the game, did you assume it was over? Because yeah. I will tell you, I did. I started making dinner. I thought it was done. I turned on um, a TV show for me and Katie to start watching because it was over. And then I turned it back when you sent the text, OMG. And I'm like, you got to be blanking me. I, I just didn't believe that they were going to do it. Because no. Jeff Passan sent out a tweet yesterday on That's like. his fault, for sure. <laughs> that was a Passan KO. That was a PKO. He's yeah. looking through the all-star nominees and who could end up being that guy. I mean, every number there is available to you, Ryan Helsley has been the best reliever in baseball this year. So, like, you look at this list, and I just assume Ryan Helsley's going to get the job done. It's the first time that he's been on a back-to-back in a while, and it just it didn't go well. He ended up leaving one a little too much of the, over the heart of the plate. Goes a really long way. Game over. Cardinals lose. And if I'm not mistaken, I believe it was only, like, the fourth hit he's allowed against a right-handed batter all year. And it just I mean, so happened to be he ti- he just literally it was guessed only the ninth hit that he's up. allowed this season. Yeah. <laughs> like he just he doesn't let guys get on base. There's only been now 19 players that have reached base safely against Ryan Helsley. He has been in the game for more than 30 innings. Like That's he's just ridiculous. he's absurd. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks and I'm Brandon Kyle. Circle of trust. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we heard a couple of days ago from Darren Drager that Kevin or that the trade market was going to start moving here in the next couple of days. Kevin Fiala has officially been traded. He's no longer on the Minnesota Wild. He's going to be on the LA Kings. What does that mean for the trade market? We'll get to that at 11:30. But next, this guy that we saw last night, he's the reason why the Cardinals are looking at not trading their top end prospects. We'll talk about Sandy and what he did against the Cardinals next year on 101 ESPN. 
We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Sandy's doing the talking. Did you let him stay out there? Oh, my God. Thank God. I, why is my heart racing right now? I'm not even in that meeting, and I'm scared. Yeah, when he came to the mile, I said, I got it. I got it. And I got it. He said, okay. And I did it. On a hop. Birdie's got it. Rojas to first. Double play. It's a Marlins win. And Sandy immediately points to his manager and says, I told you I had it. Marlins win it 4-3. to three. God, I love that guy. I hated seeing it happen against the Cardinals last night, but I really enjoy watching Sandy Alcantara pitch. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. That audio courtesy of the Miami Marlins TV network. Alex, Sandy Alcantara is really good. The dude threw 117 pitches yesterday in a complete game. It's the most thrown in a complete game by any pitcher this season. Second on that list, the second most pitches thrown in a complete game this year is Sandy Alcantara, who threw 115 pitches back on May 22nd in a complete game against the Braves. He's, I mean, I saw a bunch of people tweeting this after the game nationally last night. He's going to be your starting pitcher for the National League in the All-Star game, and he deserves to be. That's how good he is right now. And as you look at what the Cardinals are looking for in terms of their next starting pitcher that they potentially bring in at the deadline, listen, you ain't going to get Sandy Alcantara. You're not getting anybody close to that. But the mindset that he had as Don Mattingly tried, and I say tried for a reason, to take him out of the game in the ninth inning, and he he was very clearly not leaving that mound. Like Don Mattingly was going to have to do everything he could to pull him off of that mound. He was finishing what he started in that game. Sandy challenged Don afterwards and pointed at him. It, it was, that's the mindset I want. It's a beef. We can go trade for it. Probably. Him. He probably wants out now. Yesterday, Eno Saris told us there's nobody in baseball that has more red ass than Matt, Madison Baumgartner. That's, that's what I'm looking for. That was Sandy Alcantara yesterday on the mound. I absolutely loved seeing it. I, I just, I think that's so rare in the game today because I, I, I just don't know very many pitchers and granted, I don't watch a ton of games outside of the Cardinals, but I don't know many pitchers that are going to argue with the manager like Scherzer. that. Oh, yeah. But I don't even know if there's arguing there. I, like, I think the manager just lets him go. I feel bad. He's on a Remember rehab assignment right now. I Dave feel Roberts bad for the last year? In, yeah, uh, I guess that's true. In L.A. in the yeah. playoffs, he tried to take him out of the game, and then Scherzer was furious. Maybe, like, maybe a Chris Sale. Got a little bit of that. Lane always has some of that yeah, in him. In Madison Bumgarner. But like, think about those. Those are all the vets mm-hmm. that were in a different era, and now you've got the Sandy Alcantara. That is the guy that the Cardinals wants. And in all reality... I think that's what the Cardinals were hoping Jack Flaherty was going to get back to. And I think he does have that. He in has him. it. It's We've just a matter it. of being healthy. And that's the biggest problem. So the hope, and you can't live on hope for the Cardinals, is that Flaherty gets back to that. But yeah, I mean, that's what every team wants right now. A guy who basically commands. It's not just saying it, but it's backing it up. Because in all reality, Sandy could have argued that. And then he could have given up a two-run blast, and the game would have been over, and then everyone would be talking differently. But Sandy backs that up because he's confident. That's yeah. the thing, man. He's in such a big spot there. Like you have Newt Bar that walks, you've got the cable single, and now you've got two on runners on first and second. Should have been first and third. Newt, come on, buddy. We got to we got to get to third there. Your value is in your base running and your speed. Stick that tongue out and run, man. And instead, you've got that ground ball double play from Sosa. And Ugh. 
just su- such a big moment for yeah. him to be able to finish that game, especially against this team. Like you got to think yesterday going into that one, that means more to Sandy Alcantara than just any other random oh, yeah. mid- late June start. Oh, yeah, for sure. Especially first time beating a team that he was traded from. And last year he had the opportunity and Miami gave him no run support. I yeah. mean, he lost one nothing, gave up a walk off in the bottom of the ninth inning. But yeah, I'm with you guys. I mean, the Cardinals definitely need someone like that. I think Wayno has a little bit of that, but we've seen him kind of uh, get into conversations with Marmol about it in the past. I'm not really sure Michael is a workhorse and has great stuff. I don't think he's really a guy, though, when Marmol comes out of the dugout, I don't think he's a guy that really fights to stay in games. I've not seen it. Maybe he does. We just haven't seen the situation. But I, I think they are looking for a guy like that, and they need someone like that that can eat innings and be that workhorse and is wanting to be a extreme competitor that wants to put the team on his back and make sure that he can carry them across the finish line. And that's why when we talk about Mad Bum, yeah, he definitely fits that description. I don't know about a Frankie Montas if he fits that description. Look, I get it. He's the number one guy out there on the market. He's a really good pitcher. I'm not sure he's that guy, though, that I turn to that I say, okay, you're going to have the team on your back and I need you to carry them to a victory. And if you come out of the dugout, I'm not sure Montas would really argue. You've never really seen it from him. Now, I want that from my pitcher, if I have to settle for just like a really good pitcher, I'm willing to do that as well. You, you know, like if if I've got a guy that comes in and he basically produces the way that Miles Michaelis has so far this year, yeah, I'll sign up for that. I, I guess that that would be okay with me. The reality, though, is if the Cardinals are unwilling to give up some of their top prospects, such as at Andy, uh, Sandy Alcantara, the way that they did in that Marcelo Zuna trade, they're going to have to aim lower. So that's where the Madison Bumgarner, like if you're aiming low, this might be the best of the middling options. But he's got red ass. Let's go for it. Greg Amsinger was on with Carriker and Smallman earlier today, and they asked him, hey, if you end up going to the market and you're in charge of the Cardinals, who are some of the pitchers that you might be looking to acquire? He brought up a name that I don't believe we have discussed at this point. I would kick the tires on this guy. Patrick Corbin. Now, don't, if you go to baseball reference and look up his stats, you're going to roll your eyes and go, Greg Hamsinger had a long night last night. I don't know what's wrong with this guy. ERA over six. He's been serving up a ton of home runs. But if you're looking at a left handed pitcher who can throw 95, which is where his fastball sits, and he still possesses one of the most unhittable sliders in the game. I I know it sounds like a long shot because his last three years, he, he has been a failed starter. But he reminds me, Randy Michelle, of Robbie Ray. Now, he's got three years left, and he's got a lot of money left in the books. The Washington Nationals would eat a huge chunk of it. Cardinals, at some point, are going to need a guy who eats up a bunch of innings and, and gives that bullpen a break down the stretch in September. And it's, you'd be hard-pressed to believe that Jack Flair is going to be that answer. So, I'm not the analytics guy. That's UBK. But you're, you're, you don't need him. You're grooming you don't need me towards analytics. this? Um, I pulled up his baseball savant play page, and you guys tell me that blue is not good. Yep. Yep. This blue is, is bluer than Dakota Hudson's blue. <laughs> and I love Dakota Hudson, but his are blue. There would be something else that would be blue if this is what the the Cardinals decide to do at the trade deadline. What would be blue? Be Cardinals fans that'd be <laughs> having the blues. John Mozeliak after making that trade? Use your mind. Um, I... Would not like I this I get it. deal I get for it. the Cardinals. Can't this would long. not be the way to go about it. If you're going to go to the call the Nationals, he try and get makes a ton of money. Oh, even worse. <laughs> he is 32 years old. Far be it for me to call Greg Amsinger and say that he's wrong on something. His fastball velocity is very much not 95. It sits around 91, maybe 92, depending on the outing. 
he has a six ERA and that is not unlucky. That is what he is as a pitcher at this point in his career. Listen, man, uh, there was a point in time where if you told me that the Cardinals were going to acquire Patrick Corbin, probably around 2019, like right after that series in the NLCS, I would have been like, that sounds awesome. (laughs) He would be great for the Cardinals. I don't know what happened, but since 2019, he's been terrible. And it, it just is clearly not working for him. I, if you're going this route, if you're going the expensive, potentially washed older starter, I would so much rather have Madison Bumgarner than Patrick Corbin. It is not even funny. Well, the good news is you wouldn't have to give up pretty much anything for Patrick Corbin because Washington would be like, yeah, sure. Take him. That's true. You're right. There's no, this doesn't make any sense for the Cardinals. I mean, can he even really give them innings? I mean, he can give them innings, but they're going to be seven runs given up. I mean, this is. This is expensive John Lester from last year. Is exen- is essentially so you're hoping to strike for. lightning in a bottle twice where you get a guy who is completely wrecked on a team and hope that the defense makes him better. But instead of paying better. a couple million bucks for yeah. the end of his career, you're paying $24 million for the next three years. Now, they yeah. would probably have to eat a sizable portion of that contract, but you're giving up something. No. Maybe it's not even a lot. You're giving up something, though, from your system for the rights to pay Patrick Corbin for the next couple of years. It, it, I'm just I'm, I'm not doing that. I think that's bad business. For in all Cardinals. reality... If I'm going to do this, Patrick Corbin, I'm just going to keep Andre Pallante in my rotation and let him go. Exactly. There's no point in making this trade. You're making your team I would rather see Matthew Libertor regularly than than Patrick Corbin. The upside is higher. We don't know. Like, the nice thing about Libertor is it's possible he's better than we're giving him credit for right now. And he just ends up coming up and his stuff with Yachty behind the plate and with Kisner, whoever ends up being the backup catcher, it plays. And uh, the defense behind him, it ends up being a better result than what we're expecting. Man, I know what Patrick Corbin is at the big league level, and it's bad. Yeah. Like it's just flat out not good. I mean, if you want Patrick Corbin, you should have just signed Dallas Keuchel when he was available. Like that. I mean, they're essentially the same player right now. Yeah, it's yeah. It, that. It, the, the, the reason why I even brought it up on the show today is because of this. If you aren't willing to deal your high end prospects, this is the pool that you're going to be swimming in. You're going to be going out there looking for these quote unquote failed starters that don't project to be great on other teams that you believe can come in because of your defense, because of your ballpark, and they can be better here than they were elsewhere. And you just saw it with a guy that was on the Nationals that translated here in St. Louis a year ago. I just, this is not the one that I would be choosing. If you're going to go this route, get somebody that's on an expiring deal. So that way you don't have to worry about them potentially being in your rotation next year as well. That was that was the biggest benefit of the Jay Happ and John yeah. Lester deals is, at the end of the season, you knew they could start start fresh and try to rebuild that rotation. In What's the John Gant doing these days? He might be. Worth I think he's pitching in Japan, isn't he? Oh, well, I think there he's we go. hurt too. Oh, yeah. Coming up in 15 help. minutes, we'll get to some questions and answers. Six five seven eight zero is the Air Comfort Service text line to get involved in the show. But next, yesterday, Darren Drager told us that the trade market was about to start heating up. It did, and a big move was made. What does it mean for the Blues and their look to uh, acquire somebody as we get closer and closer to the offseason starting? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Guys, I'll tell you right now, I keep hearing... Um, a little bit throughout the Stanley Cup final, but now that the Stanley Cup has been awarded, in the last two days, I've heard uh, from managers, from player agents, the expectation that the next several days is going to be wild on the trade front, etc. So 
Uh, I think everybody needs to buckle up. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. That was Darren Drager yesterday, and then the big news dropped about an hour later that the Minnesota Wild traded Kevin Fiala to the LA Kings for their 2022 first-round pick and one of their top prospects, a defenseman that is the captain right now at the University of Minnesota. Alex, I was a little surprised to see this happen so quickly. I, I thought that maybe this would occur closer to the draft, but uh, clearly the Minnesota Wild liked the return. I think the other thing that kind of surprised me a little bit is Kevin Fiala is a legit 80-plus point player. He's a point-per-game player last year for the Wild. He did struggle in the playoffs. We saw that firsthand against the Blues. To only get a first-round pick and a considered to be one of the top prospects, but a, a decent prospect for him, it felt to me to be a little bit light, but how much do you think that had to do with the the contracts that the Kings then had to give to Kevin Fiala? I think it had everything to do with the contract because essentially you were trading for the rights to Kevin Fiala. Now, of course, he's a restricted free agent, so you were going to keep him no matter what, and that's why Minnesota had to trade him because even going to arbitration with Kevin Fiala, they weren't going to be able to afford him and Bill Guerin was very adamant, and I think it was Michael Russo on The Athletic who put the article out. He wasn't going to try and leverage other teams. He said, I'm going to take the best deal that I felt that was out there, and this was it. It does seem a little bit light to some people, but let's all remember also that this is the best season Kevin Fiala has ever had. True. Kevin Fiala, in his time with Nashville, he had one season where he scored over 20 goals. Now, he's had three straight seasons playing with the Minnesota Wild where he scored 23-20, and then this season at 33 but he also didn't do anything in the playoffs for the Minnesota wild. So I think that was probably a good package to acquire for Kevin Fiala. I don't think you were going to get much better than that. If you were another team, because the LA Kings draft pick was actually a pretty consi- or significant draft pick in this draft first round. And then of course a top prospect like that. So this made sense. He was a restricted free agent and the seven and a half million dollars, I think that was a little bit of an overpay, but we'll find out as he goes to a uh, a young L.A. Kings team. So as you look at it now, what does this mean for the Blues? Right. Because that's a big question. And I, I think it's kind of twofold. One, what does it mean for the Central? Because the Wild are in a really weird spot yeah. right now, man. They're They're trying to thread that needle of. Okay, we just had those two big time buyouts last year, and that's going to impact our cap in a big way this upcoming year and moving forward. But also, we've got a decent team right now. Mm -hmm. And so we want to keep some of this together, keep this core together. And we've got to restructure the way that we're paying people. So let's start there. What does this mean for the central division around the Blues currently? I mean, I think it goes into what I told you a couple of weeks ago. I think the central division going into this upcoming season is going to be Colorado and St. Louis fighting for that top spot. And then a bunch of teams fighting below them because I don't think there's one that sets above the other. Nashville's going to be intriguing if they keep Philip Forsberg. It's going to be a really good thing for that team, but I don't know if he's going to stay there. And Minnesota, yeah, they've got the Kaprizovs and they've got the Hartmans, and Bill Guerin said that they really want to lock up Jacob Middleton and Marc-Andre Fleury, but, I mean, you just lost a guy who scored 80-plus points for them and was playing in their top-six role, and how do you replace that with a younger player you got Arizona, who I don't think is going to be very competitive, and Winnipeg's going to be there. Dallas is always going to be there. I think this is a good thing for the Central Division because you're taking a guy who was very good against other teams and make them very or makes Minnesota very competitive. 
but I think it benefits the Blues in Colorado because it takes a team out of that competition for first place. So the other thing that it does is it shows you at least a portion of what the trade market is going to look like in terms of the cost for this type of player that is entering a walk year. And I... Somebody on the text line, 65780, uh, is the Air Comfort Service text line, said, do you think this impacts the Chikrin situation at all? L.A. was a suitor, and now they don't have their first-round pick. I, I think there's some truth to that. But the bigger thing is, I think this just shows you what the market is for those guys entering the final year of their deal that are going to have to get paid. Mm-hmm. Chikrin has term. He th- One of the biggest reasons why the Blues would be interested in him is, A, his age. He's very young. Uh, B, he's good. And C, he's under contract at a really team-friendly deal, like $4.6 million for the next few years. That's part of why you're interested in him. Instead of going out there and paying Nick Letty, who's probably at the back end of his prime, if not already beyond his prime, $5 million on a multi-year deal for what we all believe to be a worse player than a Jacob Chikrin. Yeah, I mean, I don't think this impacts it at all in terms of the Blues versus L.A. And L.A., Greg Wyshynski was on Jeff Merrick's podcast, who Merrick's going to join us in the next hour. But Greg Wyshynski basically told Jeff Merrick he he thinks the L.A. Kings are going to be the strongest suitor for Jacob Chikrin. Interesting. And I don't think this changes it at all. Because if you look, Scott Wheeler of The Athletic, who does prospect pools for the NHL, the Kings have the second-best prospect pool in all of the National Hockey League coming into this last season. And they traded probably, ah, I forgot where he ranked them. I think they traded a guy who was like in their seventh or eighth spot. Wow. They've got a lot of guys. And if you're Arizona, you're looking at players who were selected top 10 for a couple of years compared to what the Blues would be offering and what we've said of like an Ivan Barbashev and a Zachary Bolduke and first-round draft picks. If L.A. wants them... L.A. will get him over the St. Louis Blues. And you're also trading outside of the Central Division. But I just don't know how LA, how aggressive L.A. is going to be because L.A. is not in a win-now mode. L.A. is kind of they in They might this, be entering it, though. They could be with the Kevin Fiala, and they signed. I forgot who they signed this past offseason at the forward position. They've got a good team. they still got Drew Doughty, who's one of the best defensemen in the National the Hockey Pacific League. the Pacific Division is pretty weak, too. Pacific, and especially if Calgary loses Johnny Goudreau and yeah. Matthew Kachuk, they could go into win-now mode, which makes things all more difficult. And you've still got Anze Kopitar, who's who's there. They've got, a decent, they've got some guys but that are available. They, but if they're going to give up what it would take to get Jacob Chikrin, they're talking about giving up one of their third or fourth best prospects. And I don't know if LA is going to want to do that compared to the Blues saying we need to do that with a Zachary Bolduc. And let's be honest, it might mean that they don't end up re-signing Olimata. And he's really the key well, to then them it opens potentially up for the Blues. The Blues go get Olimata and then season over. What I do think this could impact, though, is... Guys like Tra- Travis Sanheim, who are entering their walk year. This is the final year of his contract with Philadelphia. Ryan Graves is entering the final year of his de- uh, deal with the New Jersey Devils. Do they want to build around him? That's possible. Maybe they extend him uh, before this year. Scott Mayfield is entering the final year of his deal this upcoming season with the Islanders. Those are the kinds of guys, Sanheim, Graves, Mayfield, that if the Blues end up missing out on Chikrin and they don't see guys available on the open market that they want to go out there and acquire, maybe they turn their attention to these more quote-unquote under-the-radar possibilities for left-handed defensemen. Yeah, I mean, it's very possible. And Travis Sanheim, I've brought up his name in the past along with Ivan Provorov. And now with Philly, I don't know what it's going to look. People might be demanding to be traded out of Philly now that John Tortorella is their head coach. So maybe Sanheim wants out. He's really good, by the way. He is. The only thing about Sanheim is if you trade for him, you're getting one year 
And then what does that contract extension look like? Because he's a younger defenseman. He's a guy who is looked at as a top three defenseman on a team. And you could be talking about $6 million per year. And do you want to put another defenseman in the $6 million range? And let me save you the text messages right now of, oh, we'll just trade Colton Pareko and Tori Krug. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're not going to do either of those things. Now you're opening up another hole, and now you've got to be able to fill that with somebody else. And we've talked about how the open market, there just aren't a whole lot of defensemen in the ones that are there. They're going to cost you what you're currently paying those guys, and those guys are better than what you could acquire And why would you want to trade a Colton Pareko, who I know people don't like him for whatever reason, but a guy who's familiar with your system and plays 25 minutes a night, or a Tori Krug, who was really good this season, to open up another hole here. So, yep. yeah, I, I mean, I if you go get Sanheim, that is a upgrade without question. You make your defensive core look really good going into this upcoming season, and in my opinion, the best in the Central. But the problem becomes, what does the next year look like, especially if you're trading the way the Scott Perunoviches and the Zachary Bolduc? See, I think they could do it. I look around at most of the contenders around the NHL, they're paying $24 million right around that range to their top four defensemen. Vegas is doing this. Now, Vegas plays by a different set of rules from everybody, but they're doing this. Boston's doing this. Edmonton has it. Winnipeg, the Rangers, Colorado. Most of the teams that we talk about as being legit contenders, they've all got around this amount of money uh, allocated to their top four defensemen. So if the Blues wanted to go that route, one thing that makes it possible is None of those guys are getting the top dollar. They're not nine, ten, eight million dollars per year. Those guys are all in the six to six and a half million dollar range. And if you added one more to the mix, I, I think you could make it work. And honestly, if you're looking at Sanheim, the guy that might be comped to him in terms of the contract could be Colton Pareko. Yeah. They they could be in a similar realm in terms of what they're going to get on an annual basis. So if you gave him six and a half million dollars on a six year deal or something like that, he's 25 years old right now. He plays top pair minutes. I, I think I would sign up for that. I don't know what the cost would be to get him. I think it would be significant. Like you're talking Bull Duke first round pick. You're talking um, probably a Jacob Chikrin package. Yeah, I I. Honestly, I think I might prefer Sanheim over a Jacob Chikrin. See, I prefer Chikrin just because there's term and you know what he's getting paid. That's fair. And if the cost is going to be the same, I want the guy who's making 4.7 for the next three years because you know what? Then it doesn't become a cap conversation of how am I going to get the Matthew Kachuk if it's available or the Perons or then do I got to trade Vladdy? I could bring in Chikrin and have basically the same team as last year, but better defensively. See, I'm just trading Barbie, and that's the way well, that that's you make understandably it work. Understandably, so. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. Six five seven eight zero is your comfort service X line. Questions and answers. Is I next. always forget you hate Barbie. <laughs> We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe text now to 65780. It's BK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. 65780 is the air comfort service text line for questions and answers. We got this one from the 314. Alex, this is for you. Does, do you think that a package of Zachary Bolduc, Scott Perunovich, Ivan Barbashev, and this year's first round pick? would be enough to trade for Jacob Chikrin. Bolduc, Barbashev, and a first-round pick this and year. And Perunovic. And Perunovic to get Jacob Chikrin. I think that's kind of what it looks like. Yeah, I think that's probably what you're giving up. In all reality, that might be more than you'd want to give up for a Jacob Chikrin. But, yeah, that's what's going to get it done. I think that's what could get done for Sanheim too. 
I think both of those guys you could probably get in a trade like that. Would you do that? Yeah, I think I would. Because like if the Kings came in with a not a godfather offer, but something big, and you said, okay, we've got to make the deal, and it's either for Sanheim or Chikrin. Are you willing to do this to make I, it I think happen? so, because the way I'm breaking it down, the first round pick, yeah, you know what? It stings because it's 26th, I think. Maybe you get something good there. You've done it in the past, but I'm not worried about that. Ivan Barbashev, that's going to really sting because you're losing a role player, but I think you're trading you're trading high with that. Scott Perunovic, in my opinion, is Tory Krug. You just got to make the decision, and I know people would rather trade Tory Krug, but Perunovic has been injured for two straight years. The tough part is giving up the Zachary Bulldukes, and I think you just have to come to a conclusion of, do you feel like Bulduke or Jake Neighbors is going to be better fitted for your St. Louis Blues roster? So if that's the deal, I'm pulling the trigger on it. I would pull the trigger on that deal as well. And I, I do think you may be able to get away without maybe including Prudovich in that deal. But if the Kings are in on it and they have the prospect pool that Alex mentioned earlier, then yeah, you have to raise the stakes on your offer. And I think a Prunovich, Bolduke first round pick and Barbie would get the deal done. I mean, somebody texted in and said that's way too much. Perunovic and Bolduke ceilings are high. I get it. But essentially you're trading Scott Perunovic for a top left-handed defenseman. You're trading a guy who's got a high ceiling, but an uncertainty for a guy who has been very good in the NHL. Bullduke, I mean, Bullduke's not playing on this team for at least two years, and you got to trade something to get something, and this makes you a Stanley Cup contender. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line to get involved in the show for questions and answers from the 314. Guys, I would hate to see him go, but how do you think Vladimir Tarasenko would be viewed across the league if the Blues made him available? I mean, teams would want him, obviously, but teams aren't giving up a first round pick and a top prospect like Kevin Fiala for him, because in all reality, yeah, he had an incredible year, but it is a player who's had multiple shoulder injuries and it is a player who's going into his final year of control before he's a UFA and he's 30, 31 years old. I think 31. So, I I mean, I I don't think you're getting Kevin Fiala return. I think you're probably getting second round draft pick for him from a team. I was saying, do you think you get half of that return? Maybe it's just a first round pick or just a, a prospect. Pro- you can get a good prospect for him probably. Instead of the first round but pick. It de- but it, it depends on the team. Like the team knows that they have the upper hand. If he wants to go there, he gets to decide where he wants to go. It's not like I Doug- would be shocked if he couldn't get you a first round pick. I would be absolutely shocked. I think he could get you one of whatever the... F- Sorry. Yeah. I think he gets you one of the Fiala deal, whether it's the first round pick or the top end prospect. I think if a team's going to give up the first round pick, it's going to be a team that's going to ask Doug to eat some of that salary. Because not a salary's whole lot of, not bad, though. No, it's not, but not a lot of teams can take that AAV hit. I think they could if they miss out on their top. Like, if. I don't know if he would want to go there or not. My guess is with Tortorella now as their oh, coach, yeah, no he probably way. wouldn't want to. <laughs> but No way. Um, Philadelphia made a lot of sense uh, previously. If. If they decided, okay, we want him to be a part of this rebuild for us, or New Jersey, they want him to be a part of their rebuild, they could take it on. But I don't think he would agree to that if it's a rebuild mindset. Unless they decided that they were going to hand him seven years and $50 million. That makes it feel a lot better. uh, Yes, absolutely. But would he want to extend there? Because that's the other thing you bring into the conversation. The team would want to talk to him. If they're paying him $50 I think he might. Like a great example on this would be the New York Islanders. Because people brought up the Islanders last year. They've got $12 million in cap space. They could make it work. 
I don't think Lule Murillo's trading a first round draft pick for Vladimir Tarasenko. I think he'd probably give up a decent prospect. I don't think you're getting Vladdy unless you are willing to give up that. I agree. At I don't think point, Doug's going to trade last him. year it and was. I, and I think that's what Doug was holding out for last year, too, was at least a... Yeah, you're, you're not going to get something. One of those things in the Fiala deal, whether it be the top prospect or the first-round pick, and nobody offered that up, and they wanted Army to eat up the salary, and he decided, no, he's worth you taking on the full salary and paying the full price, and that's why he held on to him. And I think he'll stick with that mindset exactly. this offseason as well. That's, I agree. That's where I'm at. You you can't give that guy up no. after the season that he just had for less than a first round. Pick. Absolutely not. Uh, 65780 is the air comfort service tax line to get involved in the show. We'll play more likely to happen. You give us two scenarios. We will tell excuse me. Today is Thursday. Today is believe it or not. I, can't you just did I was that. really hoping that you is were coming up about in it. about 15 minutes or so. We'll tell you if we believe it or not coming up at 1215. But next, Carriker and Smallman had an interesting discussion earlier today. Palante versus Hudson, who stays in the rotation after things are healthy or if they make a trade. Talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks and I'm Brandon Kylie. I'm known as a Dakota Hudson hater. I'll accept that. And it's probably hater. deserved, honestly. And an Andre Palante hater. Whoa, whoa. Yeah, why will not accept that. To Hudson. That is not in, fair. And if you hate why, and BK wants to trade Barbie, and he's ripping on Hudson. And Oscar Sundquist that you traded away. So, I, I mean, th- keep on going. Hey, what ended up happening? I, I, Brandon happened. saw it, ended up happening. Sometimes I have my moments. It's rare, but it does happen I occasionally. Rather had his sonny over Letty. Well, Dakota Hudson, I, I do believe this to be true. I think if Jack Flaherty had been healthy and he was ready to go, I think Dakota Hudson was getting moved to the bullpen. I, I don't think he was going to be long-term part of the rotation this season again if everybody was healthy that's not the case he's still in the rotation now you not only have him and Palante in the rotation but Libertor is about to be in there as well so with that said when things are healthy Matt's is getting ready to come back he'll replace uh, Libertor at some point within the next few weeks and if they either get Jack Flaherty back or make a trade for a starter you're going to have to pull most likely one of Hudson or Palante out of the rotation. And that brought up an interesting discussion earlier today on Carriker and Smallman. If I have Wayno and I have Michaelis, Mats, and let's say Jack Flaherty gets in there, and it's between Palante and Hudson for me, I am keeping Palante in the rotation and putting Hudson in the bullpen, even though I really don't want to. Yeah, that would be an interesting decision to make. I think I might be more inclined to keep Hudson in the rotation and move Palante back to the bullpen just because he's had success there. But I don't know, with the way he's throwing, that's a really difficult decision that Ali Marmol will have to make. Alex, Tanner, where do you fall on this? Um, man, for the way that Palante is thrown, it would be really difficult to take him. Can I, can I go option C and put Steven Matz in the bullpen? No, it makes too much money. <laughs> okay. That's, that's the argument we're going with, right? Drew Verhagen. Um, I, I, I think, man, I, I think I would have to put Palante back in the bullpen and, and here's why, because he's better essentially. Yeah. I, I mean, Palante is. I mean, Palante is really good, and I understand it. <laughs> like, I, like I, but I get it as a starter. But I want that weapon in my bullpen for instances like last night. And look, Ryan Helsley, that was a one-off there. But 
you really are at a point where you really only trust a couple of guys out of that bullpen in high leverage situations. And Andre Pallante, I trust in any situation. If you put Dakota Hudson in the bullpen, you're probably treating him more like a Drew Verhagen, where you're only putting him in in certain instances. I think he's right-handed TJ McFarland in my bullpen. I need a ground ball. Guess who I'm going to? I think he takes that role that Seth Maness used to have. Except Maness used to be a guy that was the high leverage, like, seventh, eighth inning guy. I think he takes that role. So, like, if it's the fifth inning and there's runners at the corners and one out, then I go to Dakota Hudson. I think that's kind of the role you he would what? take in the bullpen. He's Nick Wickren. Like, that's that's the role that he Except would better. fill. Yeah. Except better. You hope, we yeah, think, hopefully. maybe, possibly. I, I, I also think that you're you're stunting a little of what you're hoping with Dakota Hudson because it is his first year back and you're just trying to keep him going. I think you're probably taking something away from that moving him into a bullpen rather than just letting him continue to start and work through whatever it is as he's dealing with. I just I feel like Pallante's more of a weapon for you out of your bullpen, despite how great he has thrown as a starter. I think right now I would lean towards moving Hudson to the bullpen because I do think they need a right-hander that can be kind of the sinker ball type that can get induced double plays because they haven't Wickren's supposed to be that guy but Wickren hasn't really been that guy and I think they could use someone like a Dakota Hudson that could go back there take that role and honestly he could become a guy that could eat innings if you needed to if you had a starter leave a game injured or uh, if you had to do a bullpen game because they got a double header at some point again with the Cubs this year you could have him be that guy that's a piggyback option or an opener for the Cardinals so I would lean towards Hudson and, and the other thing with Palante I mean He's made five starts so far this year, and he's got a 2.57 ERA. He's averaging five and two-thirds per start so far. I mean, he just seems to be more consistent on the mound as a starter than what Dakota Hudson has been for the Cardinals. But I do think there are factors that will end up weighing into this. I am interested to see Hudson mentioned it after his last start, changing the arm angle and finding one that seems to allow him for better command and ends up with better results. Uh, I'm interested to see how that looks carrying over until Matt comes back. And then the other one for me, too, is how do Oviedo and how do Hicks look? Because Hicks should be coming up uh, potentially on this road trip because he's st- I think he had another inning last night and did his back-to-back in his rehab start. How do those two look in this kind of mid uh high leverage like middle innings relief role because if Oviedo goes back to being the pitcher that he was as a starter then you have to take you have to fill that role and I'm not convinced that Hicks can take that role and if that's the case then I would look to Palante because he is more of a high leverage guy than I think Dakota Hudson is but just right now on the surface I would lean towards putting Hudson in the bullpen to become your right-handed version of TJ McFarland slash your wish you wicker and would have been Alex, I'm going to surprise you on this one. I know. You're going to go with uh, T-Bone because you hate Dakota Hudson. It's a day that ends in Y, man. I'm not, actually. Uh? I'm going to go Andre Pallante in my bullpen, and I will keep Dakota Hudson as my number five starter. All right. Well, you didn't have to say it like that. I said this the other day. I think Dakota Hudson is a fine number five starter. The problem right now is that he's slotted as a number three. If you're expecting him to be nothing more than a five where he's getting good ground balls. He's going five to six innings regularly. He's not walking the world. He's play, He's pitching at a decent pace. So hopefully he is able to correct that and he continues doing it. I think Dakota Hudson's fine. And I think Andre Pallante is a weapon. And that's the difference for me. You mentioned, Tanner, that they need that ground ball guy from the right side. They do. And Pallante is that guy. In fact, he's better at that than Dakota Hudson is. Andre Pallante this month, and this includes five games as a starter, one coming out of the bullpen. And when he was trying to stretch out as a starter, he's got a 66% ground ball rate. That is absurdly high. Like one of the best. I'll have to check this. I would have to imagine it is the best 
in Major League Baseball over the course of the month of June. Meanwhile, Dakota Hudson is about 52, 55% for most of the season. He's really good at getting ground balls. Palante's just flat out better. And if you look at the way that Palante's stuff plays coming out of your pen, He's throwing 96, 97 miles per hour. He's got that cut action on it. He has that crazy curveball. I just think he's more lethal coming out of your bullpen than Dakota Hudson would be. So I would keep Hudson as my fifth starter. And the other piece to all of this is that I'm a little concerned about Andre Pallante down the stretch being able to hold up to this kind of a workload because he just hasn't had extended innings since like 2019. And that was his final year in college. It's been a while since we've seen Dakota or excuse me, since we've seen Andre Pallante work like this in that role. And I think Pallante might have a brighter future as a starter than Dakota Hudson does. So this year, get on these innings as a reliever. And the next year might be the year where you really try it with him as a starter. That's the way that I think I would handle this down the stretch. The other thing that I really don't want in my bullpen is the amount of walks that Dakota Hudson's going to throw out there. And then they're both about the same, though. That's the thing in terms of the walk I rate. I guess that's true. But I mean, Hudson, we, the, we talked about Palante's ground ball ability. Like, that's what he's I second, think. second, by the way, in the month of June in ground ball percentage with a minimum of 20 innings that, pitch. That's what, what makes with. him so appealing. And I know Dakota Hudson has that as well. But it, I know that I'm going to get that at some point with Andre Palante. You're hoping you get that with Dakota Hudson out of the bullpen. That's why if I can use Dakota Hudson and we're talking about one bad inning and then maybe four really good innings from Dakota, okay, good innings from Dakota, then you could go into your bullpen. But if you flip that with with Andre Palante, you're bringing in Dakota Hudson, and I don't know how confident you are in that rather than starting with Dakota Hudson. And to your point, yeah, they are similar when it comes to like the walk percentage, so that's not much of a factor. But for Hudson, it, it could be an inning where, I mean, we've talked about it. I mean, you look at the Marlins game. It's a perfect example. It's like, wow, for four of those five innings, wow, that's really good from Hudson. And then there's always that one inning that you look back on, and he either has no command or he just really gets hit around. And that would be a concern also uh, to be devil's advocate against myself. Would be would If you have Hudson in the bullpen, you really don't know what you're going to get per inning, depending on when he comes in. I mean, you could get a solid one, two, three inning where he's got the ball on the ground. He could escape some jams as well. Or you're also looking at a guy that could potentially come into a game and you could get the kind of Drew Verhagen effect and he gives up like three runs and the next thing you know, you're out of that ball game. And Plante, I just have more confidence in and whether it's a starter or a reliever. He's shown a, the ability to get you out of jams out of the bullpen and also give you length as a starter. 65780 is the air comfort service text line from the 636. This comes from Cottleville, Chris. My goodness, boys, this is crap. It always works itself out. Somebody's going to get hurt, and then this will end up working itself out. I mean, maybe, or maybe they do stay healthy. And if they do, these are the kinds of conversation I can guarantee you right now. I mean, yesterday, honestly, uh, Ollie Marmel kind of let us in on this conversation. He said, yeah, eventually we're going to have to have a conversation about this. And there's going to be a time when we determine who sticks in this rotation. Honestly, Here's another factor that could go into this. If in the next couple of turns through the rotation prior to Steven Matz coming back, they get good starts out of Matthew Liberator, he could work his way into this mix as well. If Hudson or Palante falls off a little bit in their next couple of starts, Liberator works his way back into it. At that point, he'll be working off of like four or five straight quality starts he could be a guy that factors into the mix, too. So th- this is a good problem for the Cardinals to have. They've got a lot of guys that project as four or five starters right now in their rotation. That's good. The problem is they don't really have a three. 
it, like Steven Matz is probably in that mix, along with the two that we're talking about in Palante and Hudson. A Liberator is probably in that mix. I would say Zach Thompson is more of a swing starter than a four five right now. I, I like him coming out of the bullpen per- personally. I, I don't think he's a guy that goes through the lineup two or three times. He's really good for like three to four innings. And then you look at what they could potentially acquire at the deadline, and that makes it even that much more of an interesting conversation. So as much as these things work themselves out, it could get more complicated than alleviating these issues here in the next two to three weeks as we get closer and closer to the trade deadline. That's crap, BK. It always works itself out. Someone's going to get injured. Uh, From the 314, guys, they could go to a six-man rotation if this doesn't work out as well. I would be very surprised if they decide to do that. I think there was talk about it at the beginning of the season, at this point, you want Michaelis and Wayno to be able to take as many starts as possible in the second half of the season. I would be really surprised if they decided I, to do that. I will that. be curious, maybe not the six-man rotation, but I wonder if there will be a time during this stretch when you have everybody healthy that we're talking about where they consider skipping a guy on a start, especially Michaelis, guy coming off of injury. He's been covering a ton of innings for you. Would they consider skipping them just for a start in that way? Because I know they've tried to like limit the pitch count sometimes. Like after the near no hitter, they said, "Oh, well, we're going to limit his pitch count," and then he still went to 100 pitches. So they may I try think he's something a guy like that. that. They just believe is fine. Yeah, I was going to say they could try something like that, but even then, I don't even see him trying to just do don't that. Don't think you want to do a six-man rotation because then you're hurting your bullpen more too. Wouldn't you be? Because then you're talking about I mean, adding you're another guy. one of those guys out of your bullpen to be in the rotation. So instead of having eight guys in your bullpen at any given time it's seven so in, in that respect you, but then you're you also be. talking about adding another guy into the rotation that you're not sure if he's going to give you seven innings and you're sure. going to be going to your bullpen more often along with alex ferrario and tanner hendrickson i'm brandon Kylie. coming up in about 15 minutes or so we'll talk to jeff merrick he's a Sportsnet nhl analyst want to talk to him about what he expects from the blues this offseason and what he expects in terms of activity over the next week prior to the nhl draft but next let's play a game of believe it or not six five seven eight oh is your comfort service text line for believe it or not here on one ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Look at what's happened to me. I can't believe it myself. Suddenly I'm up on top of the world. It should have been somebody. JR did it. Believe it or not, I'm walking on air. I never thought I'd You act like a carrot so JR sang with you. This was one of your worst pat. Yeah, this was bad. That wasn't a good one. This was bad. This was like my woo. Be fair, there's a lot of there's a lot of talking going on before I could sing. Maybe you should focus a little bit better. Six five seven eight O's ear covered service X line for believe it or not. We've got some hate in our hearts today, including on the text line. Everybody be nice to one another, right? I'm talking to you, Alex. You be nice to people. What are you talking about? You're the <laughs> you spew hate every morning when you Whoa. open up your mouth to Dakota Whoa. Hudson. I said I would keep him in the rotation. (laughs) That's true. You did back him up, buddy. All right. Believe it or not, the Cardinals will make the NLCS even if they don't make a big-time trade deadline move. Yeah, I'm not going to believe that one. Got a good offense, but we know what happened. In all reality, if if they win the NL Central, let's go down this path, because I think that's the only way that they can make the playoffs, right? There's there's no way you're getting in unless... No, I, because I, I think thought three teams from the NL East were, was going to get in. San, San Francisco and Philly. I don't know about Philly. Impressive. Yeah, I don't know about Philly. I, I I'm don't still know about in San on San Francisco. I think San Francisco is really good. I would say. I just think it's going to be really I don't know. hard. It, it will be. 
I mean, there, there's going to be a good team that ends up missing out on the playoffs, whether win, it be whoever finishes second in the Central or San Francisco or Atlanta. One, one of from that group is going to miss the playoffs. If they year. win the NL Central, correct me if I'm wrong here, they'd be taking on the winner of the NL East. Dude, or I don't know. It, they would get the last wild card. They'd get the well, last I mean, wild just, card. It's probably it's going to work out because I'm looking at this now. They'd get the Mets, first wild card. Like the best wild card team would play against the Cardinals because the Cardinals would have the worst record among out of the all of division winners. Because the Mets would get the bye, correct? The wor- oh, no, the Mets wor- and the Dodgers no would get the bye. And then the Cardinals, the lead central, would get the worst oh, wild card team. me, man. So that's probably Philly, San Diego, San Francisco. Here's how this I mean, is- at least it's not Max Scherzer like they had in the wild card this last time. You guys agree with me. Here's what I think the playoff picture is going to end up turning out to be. I, I think it's going to be Mets and Dodgers will get the buys. I, let's say the Cardinals win the Central. I still think they're going to win the Central. I think that's the only way. And then the three it. wild cards that I have, I have San Diego, Atlanta, Milwaukee. I don't buy into San. I don't buy into San Francisco and Philly. Swap oh. out one of these for those teams if you want. Uh, but I. I I'm not going to believe this if they don't yeah, make a big I'm not move. either, because I, to get to the NLCS, you're going to have to go through somebody who's got a really good pitching staff, and I understand that's going to be the best of five, and anything can happen, blah, 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 what T-Bone likes to live off of. Well, if, you, if, you don't, if you don't make a big-time move, I don't think you can get to the NLCS. Tanner's right. I forgot the way that the playoff is set up. It is the top two seeds get the bye, and then the Cardinals or whoever gets that Whoever wins the NL Central, because they're not going to have the second best record, let's be honest. Looks like we're letting everyone in the playoffs now. They're going to end up having the the worst (laughs) of the wild card teams. Ridiculous, huh? (laughs) I mean, it's going to be a tough path. I think they can can get past the wild card round in the best of three. Best of five is when it really starts to become a question mark. Because let's say you, let's just say Milwaukee gets the last wild card. Let's say the Cardinals beat them. And then you're looking at, and let's say San Diego, for example, beats Atlanta. You play either the Dodgers or the Mets. You're looking at the Dodgers or the Mets. And that's where it'll become really difficult when you're going with those one, two, three punches of those uh, rotations. I mean, you look at the Dodgers, and I was talking about this yesterday. I had no idea. Tony Gonsolin's like 9-0 and has the best ERA in the National League ahead of Sandy Alcantara. He's a top five pitcher in the National League. Can I be honest? I would rather play the Dodgers. Oh, I would too. Jacob DeGrom, Max Scherzer is a one-two punch in the Mets series? No way. I don't have any interest in seeing the Mets in the playoffs. Unless it's the NLCS and then like you let have the chips to. fall where they may, right. right? That would be a super fun series. Um, and hopefully you, it looks a lot like one of the more recent ones. I think that if you play the, the Mets in a, in a series, it's going to be tough to win a game because they're, they're three that they're throwing out there. Scherzer, DeGrom, Bassett, and then Carlos. So you're in on the Mets now. Yeah, because weren't you the one that was skeptical? I was the one that was skeptical about them. Yeah, I think I have to be when you look at what they're doing because they're always a team that starts off hot and then they fall off. But now they're the team that started off a little slow and then they've just run a torrid pace. So I, I'm in on the Mets because they've they've just got a damn good pitching staff. And their their lineup, like the difference between this year and previous years, is that they've got guys like Jeff McNeil and Mark Canna and Eduardo Escobar, and Marte. who are just doing yeah, Starling Marte, who are just really good professional hitters. Yeah. And Did previously, we? they would have like two or three guys that are awesome, and the rest of their lineup would be a bunch of jabronis who are just in oh. there. And it's like, really, this is your six hole hitter? Okay, all right. Cool. When did you put jabronis into your category, your vocabulary? And that's what the Mets were. They were a bunch of jabronis. 65780 is your comfort service text line for Believe It or yeah, I'm trying to Not. trying to be Italian out here. Guys, believe it or not, the Blues will trade their first round pick at or before the draft. I'm going to believe this. 
part of me, I'm hesitating because part of me wonders if they trade 2023. That's why. I, and if you're going to make a trade with Arizona, Arizona's got a lot of 2022. How many 2023 first round picks do they have? Maybe that's the draft that they're looking at might be a significant one. So I'm going to flip myself here. I've convinced myself. I'm not going to believe this one. I think 2023 first round pick gets traded. And then I think maybe a third round pick this year gets traded. Yeah, it wouldn't shock me if the Blues did end up trading this pick this year to go get like a Jacob Chikrin, but I'm not going to believe it because if you look at what Arizona has, they have three first round picks this year. And if the 2023 draft is deemed deeper then Arizona, why not add one to that collection? They only have their pick for next year. They could add yeah. on to another one. They could have five first round picks in the next two Give years. Give them a third round pick this year and load yeah, up and I, get everything you want. I think, I think it's more likely in terms of that the Blues will trade next year's first round pick than this year, so I'm not going to believe this. Sweep it, we're all on the same page here. 65780 is your comfort service tax line. Believe it or not, from the 636, the Cardinals will have more than three All-Stars this year. Wow, Helsley ruined his chance last night. I think Helsley gets in. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Goldschmidt's obvious. I think Arenado gets in because of the Manny Machado injury. I and I Edmund think Tommy Edmond gets in. I think Miles Michaelis gets in too. So I, I'm going to say believe this one. I think they have four maybe five and i i still believe manfred may put pull holes in i know i know he's not the commissioner's pick gets put one in yeah he's got it where he can put somebody in the all-star game i i would not be stunned if they put albert in i if yadi were healthy i think yadi would have gone with him too final years but i wouldn't be stunned if albert's in too i would believe this what's the most a team has ever taken to an all-star game because that seems like a lot the royals have like yeah, they started the entire, an entire roster game. in 2014, yeah, I think it there was. There was some type of conspiracy 15. going on there. Um, I don't know that Michaels is going to get in. I think he should. Out of all national, I guess that's true. I mean, there's just some really good pitching yeah. in the National League this year. I mean, you're, you're looking at like starters wise Gonsolin, Sandy Alcantara, Corbin Burns, Carlos Rodon. And you also have to remember that some of these teams, they're going to need to have a representative, and yeah. the representative for them might be either a starter or a reliever that ends up getting in. So yeah, I, I think Michaelis is deserving. I believe he should get into the All-Star game. He's the Cardinals pitcher, not named Ryan Helsley. That is probably most deserving of so getting then, in. Re- realistically, Helsley, Goldie, Edmund? And Arnado. You think Arnado gets in? Yeah. So I'll, I'll take the over. Are we all on yeah. the over there for four? Yeah. I, think, yeah. I think they get four, four. maybe five, pools, depending maybe on what happens with the pools thing. 65780 is the air comfort service tax line for Believe It or Not. Um, <laughs> did he really just say jabroni on the air? Is this too early 2000s WWE? That's what I was surprised by. I mean, we're going back to the rock days here. I like it. Uh, all right. Believe it or not, guys, I was listening to ESPN radio the other day and one of their hosts said that there is no team in sports, pro sports, that has more pressure on them in the 2022 calendar year than the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Believe it or not, the Bucks have more pressure on them this year than any other pro sports team because of Tom Brady's return and what this means for him and for that team. Am I am I off? I don't feel like that's pressure. I just feel like that's Brady saying blank and I'm going to come back. I agree. I don't feel like there's pressure. If I were to pick a team. If that- he didn't win in Tampa previously, yeah. maybe there would be yeah. pressure because he's chasing it now. I don't think there's pressure on the Bucks. If I year. were to pick two teams that had pressure on them, one would be the Mets for all the money that they have thrown at their roster. And the other would be the Brooklyn Nets. The Nets I mean, definitely you've are invested there. all of this and you're dealing with all of these shenanigans with Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant. And you made the trade with Ben Simmons. I would say they have the most riding on 
a 2022-2023 calendar season. So those would be my two before the Bucks. Yeah, I'm with you. I wouldn't believe it. I, I think the Nets are up there on that list. I think the Yankees are ahead of the Mets because of just how good they've been and how dominant they've been so far yeah, this don't year. don't you think the Mets would be there because they've I think thrown they're all up their there. money? I think they're up there because of the money you're talking yeah. about. And the other one, to me, would be the Lakers with LeBron James. I mean, he still hasn't signed a new contract. And there's, you know, with LeBron, there's always rumors of him leaving for another team. So I'll have another decision. I, I think the Lakers would be up there. I, I don't think the Bucks. I don't. Even, I'm not even sure there's a team with the most pressure heading into the NFL season. If I'm being completely honest with you, so I can't I believe this. I think the Bills are definitely. I think up the there. Bills are the team that I would say has the most pressure on them. Just because they put like, a lot of money into Von Miller. And like this, this should be their year. They're the best team in football this season. Like you look at the roster, you look up and down. They've got the quarterback. They've got a coach in place that I believe in. Their defense is mostly in its prime. They have spent significant money both in free agency and to keep some of their guys in, internally. This team should be really good, and this team should be the one that is able to get over that hump. But I don't know that they will, be, just because it's hard. Like it's really hard to win in the you NFL. Think more pressure than Green Bay with yeah. Aaron Rodgers yeah. and their, oh, yeah. his Gr- situation. Green Bay doesn't have any pressure because they've traded away the other piece to help them win. That's fair. I, I just think they're under a ton of pressure because, like, I, well, I guess it's the same argument as with Brady because their window's coming to an end with their franchise quarterback. But I guess he's already won with them. It was a long time ago, but I guess I understand the argument then with the Bills because I do think the Bills are the one with the more pressure. I just thought Green Bay's up there as well. I think there's some there's a case to be made for sure. Coming up in about 15 minutes, we're diving into the junk drawer. But next, Jeff Merrick is a Sportsnet NHL analyst. He's going to join us, talk about what he expects from the Blues this offseason and how much activity should we be expecting around the NHL over the next week or so. Jeff Merrick, one of the best in the business next year on 101 ESPN. Everybody love everybody! We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Kylie and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Alex Ferrario. It is BK and Ferrario. And we head to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line now as the playoffs are officially done. Colorado has won the cup and now we enter the off season and we welcome in one of my favorites, Jeff Merrick. He is the host of the Jeff Merrick show on Sportsnet, and he's the host of the podcast Merrick versus Wyshynski. And we talk a little NHL off season now with Jeff. Jeff, thank you so much. Let's jump right into it. Colorado wins the cup. Yes, it's Sting still in St. Louis, but we talked about this earlier this week. Is Colorado about to go on a little bit of a Chicago Blackhawks Stanley Cup run like they did in the early 2010s? Yeah, it sure feels like it. Um, and again, there's uh, there's some decisions that are on the horizon. There's some immediate decisions with a lot of key players. I know they'd love to bring back Valeria uh, I love. I know they'd love to bring back Nazem Kadri. I know they'd love to bring back Josh Manson. We'll see what happens with netminder Darcy Kemper. Um, but this thing, like the foundation of this is solid and is set. And whether it's, you know, Kale McCarr, who's now in the conversation for being not just one of the best defensemen in the NHL, but being one of the best players, period, uh, in the NHL. Uh, Nathan McKinnon, Gabriel Landeskog, Nico Ranton, and go right down the list. Um, it, and the emergence of Bo Byram, Devontae, turning himself quietly into one of the best defensemen in the NHL as well. I, I know that whenever a team wins the Stanley Cup, there's always really difficult decisions that need to be made. And now more so than ever, considering we're not just in a salary cap era, but right now we're in a flat cap era where the salary cap uh, is is not really rising at all year by year. That may change in a couple of seasons. So it becomes that much more challenging. But when you look at the foundation of what the avalanche have built here, 
this thing looks like it's going to be strong for the next few seasons at least. So, Jeff, here in St. Louis, of course, that brings up the question of, okay, then how do the Blues chase them? How do they get to where the Avs currently are again? So, in your mind, what is necessary? What do the Blues need to accomplish this offseason in order to uh, maybe not overtake the Avs as the favorite going into the season, but to catch them at some point regular season and then in the playoffs? You know, I thought that, you know, of all the teams, and with all due respect to Tampa Bay Lightning, you know, St. Louis gave Colorado fifth. You know, I think if there's one team that's already sort of built to, to, to compete against the Colorado Avalanche, right now it's the St. Louis Blues. And, you know, it, uh, it certainly would have helped having a, a healthy Jordan Bennington all the way through that series. I know that's a sore spot. I get it. It's a sore <laughs> spot for St. Louis Blues fans. I'm not going to dwell on it. Um, but, that's a, but, but, but that's a real big one. Um, I still think that, you know, that, you know, one of the most important things that St. Louis is going to do this offseason is an extension for Ryan O'Reilly. I know he still has one more year on term, uh, but it seems very much like the St. Louis Blues. I think Ryan O'Reilly is in the same mind as well. You know, they want this guy to retire uh, as a member of the Blues. I, I think the, the, the main thing, uh, the main thing for St. Louis is players like Robert Thomas to distinguish himself, uh, distinguish himself as one of the best playmakers in the NHL and players like Jordan Cairo. Uh, to take that next step in, in their career. I mean, I would make the argument that Robert Thomas is already there. I mean, what a breakout season uh, for, for Robert Thomas. I, I think that, you know, I, I don't think that St. Louis is, honestly, is, is that far off. Like, for me, they're one of the contenders coming out of the Western Conference. Uh, I know Colorado is the powerhouse. I get that. But I don't see the St. Louis Blues as being that far off. Now, We'll see what the decision is on Billy Huso, whether he comes in as a backup for Jordan Bennington or someone that's going to challenge for that top spot or if he's going to go, you know, explore the marketplace. And there will be teams that want Billy Huso. I mean, softening that blow is the emergence of Joel Hofer, as you guys well know, and starring in the American Hockey League. He looks like he's ready uh, for some NHL service. I, I mean, I've been talking about St. Louis all season long. I like this team. You know, I... I like what uh, I like what Pareko does. I like what Krug does. I really thought that Justin Falk uh, had an outstanding season for the squad. Maybe they need one more defenseman. Uh, having said that, I'm a big fan of Scott Perunovic. Um I don't honestly, guys. I don't think that St. Louis is, is that far off here, especially if you have a happy Vladimir Tarasenko and someone that's performing uh, as well as he did last season. And you know the uh, the Bushnevich trade is looking like a home run. For Doug, Doug Armstrong, I I know it sounds like I'm you know not maybe not giving you an answer that you're looking for, but I really don't think St. Louis is that is that far off. I think you're right on the same page as a lot of us in St. Louis, Jeff, and it's the conversations that we've had a lot on our show, and it always comes back to that left-handed defenseman playing with Colton Pareko. Scott Perunovich is a guy that so many people are high on, but you're just not sure if he matches what the Blues are searching for when it comes to those matchups against the Colorado Avalanche. But when you look at the landscape of guys that are available via free agency, there's really not a whole lot of guys that match the identity of the Blues, so that's why it always goes back to Jacob Chikrin for people in St. Louis, Jeff. That's going to be expensive, but listen, St. Louis is one of the teams I've wondered about from day one. I've wondered about the Anaheim Ducks. I've wondered about the Florida Panthers. Uh, I've wondered about the Columbus Blue Jackets, and I've wondered about the St. Louis Blues. Now, the St. Louis Blues do have what Arizona is looking for in a trade, and essentially what they're looking for is a first-round draft pick. Um, they're looking for a, an elite prospect and someone else from the roster. Essentially, they're looking for the old, uh, the Brent Burns, San Jose, Minnesota deal. 
uh, from so many years ago. And St. Louis is one of those teams um, that has what Arizona is offering. The only problem is it's going to be it's going to be a painful trade. Like there's going to be have to be like young players leaving this organization. But you know if uh, if you know, and look, it, it seems that St. Louis has made the, 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 the determination that they're in this to win this thing, and they still have a window that's open to do so. Uh, I'm with you, and I'm I'm a I'm a big Jacob Chikrin guy. I think he's uh, an, an outstanding defenseman, and you know if if uh, if the playoffs lately have taught us uh, uh, anything, it's that you know you need to have a really good blue line in order to compete, and your holes can't be there uh, on the back end. I, I, I like Chikrin. Uh, I know the sweepstakes is going to heat up going into the draft for him. Uh, I'm pretty sure that Anaheim is still interested. They still want to replace Hampus Lindholm. Uh, I never count out a team like the Detroit Red Wings. I can see them being interested as well. Um, Florida makes a ton of sense considering where he's from and where his dad works and what their needs are as well. But I think the St. Louis Blues are, are right in that mix with, with all those teams for the services of Chicklin. Jeff Merrick of Sportsnet is our guest here on 101 ESPN. Jeff, so if the Blues weren't able to get something done, because as you mentioned, there are going to be a number of teams that are going to finish second, third, and so on in this race. For a Jacob Chikrin, what are the pivots in your mind? If they decide this offseason going in, our number one, two, three, four priorities is to make sure we we bolster that blue line who else could become available this offseason, either via unrestricted free agency or the trade market that could make sense? Well, I mean, listen, John Klingberg is available. Um, now, he's looking for term and number, and I think Seattle's going to be competing hard uh, for him as well. So it wouldn't surprise me to see some type of bidding war for John Klingberg. I think Josh Manson did himself a lot of good uh, in these playoffs as well. I mean, if we're just focusing on defense, then those are two that come to mind right away. I know that. You know, Chris Letang is, uh, you know, right now poised to become available. Uh, he may want more term um, than than a lot of teams are, are willing to give. Um, so there's, like, it, it's not as if there's a ton. I mean, P.K. Subban is available, but then you always have to wonder about the hospital bracelet there. Um, Justin Schultz, I mean, this is this is a whole lot of, of, of right side D. Like, if you're looking specifically to address your, your, your left side issue, it, it's not really there at the uh, at, at the high end, but there will be defensemen available. I mean, Ben Sherratt can play both sides. Um, you know, Ben Sherratt does kind of seem like a fit in some ways with the St. Louis Blues as well. Those would be those would be some of the names that I'd be looking at if I'm Doug Armstrong right away. I mean, there's a lot of depth defensemen that are always available uh, by way of of, uh, of free agency. Um, but as far as you know, the the high end guys on the left side, you're probably going to have to do it by way of trade. Jeff, on the coaching side of things, we've we've kind of heard about the coaching carousel that have gone around, and I know a lot of jobs have been filled, but there are still a couple out there. Have you heard anything yeah. on the Blues assistants, Jim Montgomery or Steve Ott or Mike Van Ryan connected with any of these open jobs? Uh, Montgomery's in. A, so from what I've heard is, you know, Jim Montgomery is. Very, very sought after. Um, I could see if I mean, I think we could all see a fit in Winnipeg. I think we could see a fit in Boston. And listen, Boston may come down to a just a, a, a decision between Jim Montgomery um, and David Quinn. Uh, haven't heard Montgomery's name attached to the Detroit Red Wings. I think what Steve Eisen wants to do is talk to some of the uh, assistants from Tampa, and maybe he already has whether it's Derek Lalonde or, or Jeff Halpern, those would be Exhibit A and Exhibit B for me. But, 
You know, make no make no mistake about it. Like nobody's forgotten how good a coach uh, Jim Montgomery is, and I would kind of be surprised if at the end of all of this, Jim Montgomery isn't isn't employed by one of these teams. Jeff, final question that I've got for you. One of the big priorities for the Blues this offseason is to get David Perron re-signed. What do you think it's going to cost in terms of the the AAV to bring David Perron back here to St. Louis? Oh, boy. I'm I'm really miserable at this one. Uh, (laughs) The the AAV game is is always a tough one. Well, let's begin with, first of all, um, the fit. And the fit is clearly there. I mean, David Perron is... You know, is, is living proof that you can go home again and again and again <laughs> because no matter where David Perron goes, he always comes back to St. Louis and it really does seem like a fit. Um, he likes it there. They love having him. He's very productive as a member of the St. Louis Blues. Like when you talk about players finding the right environment, Exhibit A is David Perron uh, with the St. Louis Blues. Uh, you know, he's coming off uh, an AAV of, of $4 million. Um, I would imagine it would it would be in the same... Uh, it would be in the in the, the the same area. I would imagine maybe he ends up taking a little bit less. You know what's the, what's the old saying? Don't f with happy. If you're happy, find a way to stay. Uh, he's happy. The Blues are happy. Um, you know this is an agent that drives that drives players that that drives contract hard. Though we know that about Alan Walsh. Um, so I mean, if it's if it's four million dollars, I mean I I don't know that the that the money is going to matter matter as much as the term is. And that seems to be, you know, one of the things that's most concerning for the St. Louis Blues. At the end of it, David Perron's a wonderful player. Great player with the St. Louis Blues. They love him. But aging curves are real. Like, we all know this by now, and this is a 34-year-old player. I, I wonder if the main hang-up here isn't so much how much they're going to pay him, but the term on the deal that ends up being the hang-up. Just a quick follow-up on that, Jeff, and then we'll let you go because I yeah. know you're tight on time. If that does happen where they look at it and Doug Armstrong says, hey, this is just isn't going to work, the term that he wants or the amount of years that he wants, do the Blues go a different direction via free agency or do you think they just stick internally with guys like Jake Neighbors? I would think that Jake Neighbors is ready to make that step. I mean, uh, Jake Neighbors almost ready to make that step last season. And I think I think now you're starting to, you know, we're getting into the um, – you know, getting into the area now, they've already blended in Robert Thomas and Jordan Cairo. I think now you start to blend in more players. I mentioned Billy Huso in that situation. Maybe it's time for Joe Hofer uh, to get some NHL service. The one thing that you always want to be doing is, you know, creating an environment where there's competition for jobs and and new players slide in. Here's the thing that I wonder about with David Perron, and we've seen this with with plenty of other players before. You know, once you start to get into the into the mid 30s, maybe you just start going on evergreen deals where every year it's just a one-year deal, I'm going to see how I feel. One-year deal, see how I feel. One-year deal, see how I feel. I wonder if that may be the fit here between the Blues and Perron. It's going to be a fascinating offseason. Jeff Merrick, you truly are one of the best, buddy. We love listening to you. We appreciate any time we get to have you on our show. So thank you so much and enjoy this crazy upcoming offseason. It should be a lot of fun. Best of luck to the Blues and your, uh, your entire fan base there. So, BK, I know we're going to get into this a little bit later, but him talking about David Perron and the contract situation and then that follow-up that I asked about, you know, if if you don't get Perron and does Jake Neighbors make sense, I think you're at the point now where you look at free agency, and we've discussed this a lot, but you need Perron because without him, I think there's a hole in your top six that Jake Neighbors does not fill. Yeah, I don't think he's a top six guy. I think we've talked about it as him being potentially that third line left winger, and I think he could do that for you, but 
it, he's that tweener of is he a third line left winger? Is he a fourth line player for you? And they find that out in training camp. And it's probably him and Toropchenko kind of battling it out for that spot within the lineup. But he's not a top six player. If you don't end up getting David Perron, what it ends up requiring you to do is going out and signing a guy like an Andre Palat to a deal that is very similar to what you are likely going to sign and probably for more money and more years than what you're looking at signing uh, David Perron for. So if this comes down to a three-year deal worth $4 million per year or a two-year deal worth $5 million per year, if Perron's looking for that term, if he wants that third year and that's what's super important to him, eventually I think you just get to the place where you say, that's worth it for us yeah. to be able to stay in this current window. That yeah, we have. Because like you did with Alexander Steen, like, you, you know, it might hurt you at the back end of it. And maybe, you know, the play does decline at the end of the contract. But if anything, you know, he's going to be a guy that is always physical, always a pain in the ass to play against and always a threat on the power play, regardless if his game drops off elsewhere. Yeah. And if he's a third line left or right winger by the end of that deal, so be it. Yeah. And, and you're it paying still four million you. bucks for a third line right winger. Right. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up next, we're going to dive into the junk drawer with a little different way of going about it. There's some breaking news in college football that I really think we need to discuss this because it completely changes the landscape of college athletics. We'll talk about that next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The junk drawer with BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Together Credit Union. Pay yourself with every purchase. Open and achieve a checking account today. Tanner Hendricks and I'm Brandon Kylie. There's some huge news in college football, college athletics, really. So we got to get to this. Normally we do stuff off the beaten path. This is a little different, though. USC and UCLA, according to multiple reports now, are exploring a leave for the Big Ten. They're planning to do so as quickly as 2024. Here's a little peek behind the curtain. When this gets out, it means they're going. This stuff does not get reported until it is like, for all intents and purposes, done. So you can write it in stone. USC and UCLA are heading to the Big Ten. That's going to happen. Alex, this is an absolute bombshell. It completely changes the landscape of college athletics because for years, the way that people have viewed the the future of college sports is you're going to have instead of a power five, a power four. They're each going to have 16 teams per conference. And that was uh, continued recently with um, the, the SEC getting Texas and Oklahoma. That's your 16 team league there. You, the thought was you'll get 16 teams in the Big Ten as well. Nobody, though, thought it was going to be USC and UCLA. That would be those two teams that come to the Big Ten. People thought, you know, be like a Cincinnati or something like that eventually leaves the Big 12 for the Big Ten. Somebody that's more in their geographical footprint. And then you've got the Big Ten, SEC, ACC, and Pac-12. Those are your power four. Guys, we might have a power two <laughs> where you've got like two 24 team conferences who wants Oregon and you just we'll see <laughs> how it ends up going you might see half of those teams in a five-year stretch we'll start out with the Big Ten because this directly impacts our listening area with anybody that's an Illinois fan or an Iowa fan man this is wild it's a huge move for the conference they are going to get a windfall of money by bringing in two teams that are in a obviously huge market in LA 
it makes zero geographical sense for them to be in the Big Twin. California's not close. Like, you're going to have a volleyball game where Rutgers' volleyball team is taking on UCLA. That doesn't make any sense. The travel, anywhere. the travel budget was just completely obliterated for these schools. Now Can that they're a part of this, imagine the the wrestling coach at Rutgers being like, "Are you bleeping <laughs> kidding me?" <laughs> we, uh, I'm just thinking of the time change that that, that like in the NHL that complained when when St. <laughs> yeah. Louis played Detroit and it was like, "Oh, they're on the East Coast and we're Central." Imagine being somebody in California oh. making the trip out to Michigan. That's going to be Woof. brutal. Or, or, like, again, Rutgers is <laughs> yeah, Penn State. Sucks. Going from like, the East Coast all the way out oh, to the that West. Sucks, oh, man. That sucks. That travel budget is just shot now. Those schools have just. Good thing they're going to get a ton of money with it because they're going to be spending a ton of money on travel. What's your Tanner? You're an Illinois fan. Yeah. You're a Big Ten guy. What's your immediate thought hearing that USC and UCLA are heading to the Big Ten? Oh, great! Because now <laughs> Illinois really can't contend in football. I think basketball will become a lot more interesting because the ba- the basketball yeah. side of things, the That's conference is loaded. And you add in uh, UCLA, who made a pretty good run this year. I believe USC was decent this year as well in basketball. So really, I look at it more on the basketball side of things because let's be honest, football is going to out recruit Michigan and Ohio State, definitely not USC and UCLA. Uh, so I, I'm i more looking forward to the basketball side of it, but I do find it interesting. I'll be interested to see what they do because with the 16 teams, they're probably going to move away from the divisions would be my uh, – that's probably my guess. They'll move away from the sixteen uh, or the two divisions, and they'll go kind they'll of that ACC, ACC format, did. where it's like three, three, five, or whatever it is. So I, I'm looking forward to it. I'm kind of excited about it, but mostly on the basketball I was side. Of say, I feel like I'm more excited about this on basketball than I am football. I honestly, I think all of it sucks. Yeah. Like I, who is the historical rival that you're going to have for USC and UCLA in the Nebraska. Big Ten? Well, you create rivals, though, right? Do you? Because I've been a Mizzou fan my entire life. They don't have a rival in the SEC. I know they tell you that it's Arkansas. It's not. Those two teams are not real rivals. Like, you've kind of created a little bit of a competitive rivalry with South Carolina and Kentucky. But not that's really. not what it is, even with Illinois or with Kansas. Like, there was real history between Mizzou and the Big 12. There's real history between some of those teams that previously existed in the Big East. But maybe that's going to change for Mizzou because for the longest time they sucked in the SEC, but now Eli is going to make them competitive with the other teams. They won the division the first two years that they were in the conference. Or I guess the the first year they sucked, but second and third year. Illinois claims are rivals with Northwestern. I'll be honest. I don't feel that rivalry. They've been saving that one for like the last hundred years. You got excited when they won that game, right? I'm not even sure I watched that game. <laughs> I, I think what stinks for me, and by the way, I want Mizzou to leave the SEC for the Big Ten. Like, if we're just going to go to the no, 24 we're full, teams, we're full. Sorry. I, I would like to see Mizzou in the Big Ten because then at least you've got some historical rivalries Someone over there. Someone made a good point. Mizzou and SEMO are rivals. <laughs> okay. That's because SEMO that beats right them now. up a lot. Um, I, I, here, here's my question. Do the Big 12 and Pac-12 just combine now? Because, like, if you look at it, you got the SEC, you got the Big Ten, ACC is very far behind in third place. I I don't think either of those two conferences can, like, stand. So do you combine the two and see if they can be that fourth? The conference that I'm super interested in, because, I like, maybe they do try to combine. I, I don't know what you do if you're those two conferences. You just don't have super appealing programs outside of... Baylor, Oklahoma State, and Oregon are probably the three. You know what you do? You start your own athletic organization. Yeah? Yeah. The conference I'm really curious about is the ACC. I know. Clemson is... 
Clemson that, they're going to the come to the SEC, right? Yeah. Clemson and so? Florida State, I feel like, are bound but to be the in the ACC. ACC re- like, survive? Miami, Florida, the same one, bringing a ton of money, history. Yeah, I, th- I think that what comes next is you're going to have even more poaching. So Clemson, that would be the number one team in the ACC. They're probably fielding all offers right now. I bet you Oregon ends up in the Big Ten as well. Probably. That makes some sense. I mean, it's just going to be, like I said, like two conferences that are mini NFLs. And then the way that the college football playoff probably ends up going. Let's take the top four teams from each of those two conferences. You end up with an eight-team playoff, top four teams in either conference. You've got like four divisions of six teams each. That's your quote-unquote pod. And then we see who ends up being the best out of those. And it's a playoff out of those respective conferences with the two best teams meeting in the end. I think that's probably the way this goes. I didn't SEC Sprite going, man, how can we get rid of Vandy? What are they bringing <laughs> to the party? We want Clemson. Get rid of Vandy. How do we get these guys Illinois, out of here? Big Ten. Let's get rid of Rutgers. What the hell have they brought to the conference? We want Oregon. <laughs> man, I miss when college football had real rivalries. Notre Dame's got to be like drooling over all these moves. Okay, they, they're going to be in the Big Ten in a week. Oh, nice. <laughs> like the, the, that That feels like a fait accompli. I'll, I'll, be, I'll be curious if the ACC gets aggressive and tries to lure in like Notre Dame. I know Oregon's really far away, but hell, screw screw the yeah, at this point, boundaries and all that. Duke but or North Carolina? I, I, so I, the problem is ACC all of the aggressive. money comes from football. All of it. And, and it's all about the TVs as well. Like this is why added Rutgers. I was like, why are you adding Rutgers? This doesn't make any sense. And the reason why they did it is because they were like, well, it's it's a market. Like It's a TV and radio market. That's what we want. And they wanted, quote unquote, New York. Rutgers isn't technically there, but that's what they wanted. That, that's why they added them into the mix. And like the SEC, one of the reasons why Mizzou was appealing is because they have the Kansas City and St. Louis markets that they bring in for the TVs as well. So I don't know. It's going to be super interesting, man. This put everything on its head. If, I I didn't see this coming. If the for ACC's sure. not aggressive, I could see Clemson bailing out for the SEC or the Big Ten. Definitely. Same with a Miami, Florida, Florida State. The teams that have those histories in in those markets. Uh, if you're the ACC, you got to get aggressive. And you got to try and pull a Notre Dame in. And honestly, I know again boundaries aren't a thing anymore. But you got to try and pull an Oregon, or you got to try pulling Oklahoma State, Baylor. You got to try and lure those teams in to keep the other big teams happy in the ACC. So if you missed it, the news of the day is that the Pac-12 lost more teams. Uh, It's going to be USC and UCLA reportedly heading to the Big Ten, likely by 2024. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we're going to do some NHL quick hitters, including a former blue that might be worth taking a look at as a fourth line player this offseason. We'll get into that coming up at 115. But next, have the Cardinals earned the benefit of the doubt from you for the prospects that they're saying now that they want to keep, we'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Coming up in about 10 minutes or so, we're diving into some NHL quick hitters, including a former blue that might be worth a look as a fourth line player this year. But right now, Alex, as we were watching the Cardinals over the last few weeks and really last night as well, as you saw Sandy Alcantara on the other side of things and just the way that he's shoving right now, one of the best pitchers in the National League made me think to myself, you know, as we get closer to the trade deadline, 
Have the Cardinals earned the benefit of the doubt when it comes to keeping these top prospects internally and not trading them elsewhere? Because you look at what they've been able to do this year. I mean, Nolan Gorman has been exactly as advertised. I think Dylan Carlson is starting to look like the player that John Mosaylock was talking about previously. Uh, Brendan Donovan has been super impressive. They said for years they think Tyler O'Neill could be their version of Bryce Harper. And hey, man, last year, I got to give him the credit where it's due. He looked like their version of, in terms of the production, a Bryce Harper. You can go up and down the list, the pitching side of things. It's been the same thing. Jack Flaherty, I mean, we could talk about his issues, but all of those are related to injuries. He's been a legit number one or two starter since he's come up. Andre Pallante has been tremendous. They've got back end of the bullpen guys that have been developed. Matthew Libertor's looked okay, at least solid so far. Zach Thompson, same thing. Have they earned in your mind the benefit of the doubt if after the deadline they come they come out and they have a press conference and they say, you know what? We would have liked to have upgraded this team, but we didn't feel like it was worth it for us to trade these prospects that we believe in just as we believed in the guys that are currently helping us win. Yeah, I think they've earned the benefit of the doubt on both sides of the spectrum. On the point that you just made, if they come out and say that, and when you look at the landscape of pitchers that are available that you could trade for, if they deem the return of a trade not better than what they're giving out i would agree with them in terms of if you can't pull off the deal for the aces on team staffs and you're going after the bum garners or the frankie montases yeah i can see that but i can also flip that and look at it and say yes the sandy alcantara trade that stings everyone right now but let's also look at the players that they've traded away also that people thought well these guys are going to be good they haven't turned out to much. Like Luke Weaver was a top prospect for the Cardinals, and you got Gold, or Goldschmidt in that trade, and Luke Weaver's been a middle-of-the-rotation guy for them, maybe back end of the rotation. I remember Cardinals fans up in arms when Oscar Mercado was traded to Cleveland, yep. and that guy was just DFA'd by Cleveland. So they also earn the benefit of the doubt, and again, I understand. Sandy's going to hurt for a lot of people. People are going to bring up Randy Rosarena, but that was about four months of production, and he's been okay since. The same with um, who was the home run king last year that everyone was up. Adolis Garcia. Adolis Garcia. Haven't heard his name an awful lot. Patrick Wisdom's hitting below 200 for the Cubs. So they've earned the benefit of the doubt by if they do pull off a trade, I'm going to trust them that what they just traded, they felt wasn't going to be MLB ready. By the way, Adolis Garcia has a career on-base percentage now of 285. He's He's been a productive hitter in terms of the power, but his on-base percentage is awful. He strikes out a ton and... He's just a pure power hitter. He's basically Patrick Wisdom in Texas. Someone just texted and said they trade great pitching and keep the crap. Who's other than Sandy Alcantara? Who's the great pitching that they've traded away and kept the crap? Zach Gallon's been really good. Yeah, Gallon's been good. Uh, other than that, though, that's pro- uh, Marco Gonzalez. But he was but like, you got was Tyler like a prospect. O'Neal in that trade. I mean, that yeah, worked out really well. That was a prospect swap too, so I don't really count that one. I mean, it's not like they every season trade away great pitching and they get nothing in return. So I I ask this in all seriousness, like as much as the Cardinals deserve your criticism in some ways, like there there are times when I think it is fair to be critical of the team, especially in the offseason. Somebody brought up uh, what they failed to do in the offseason is why they're in this spot. So, no, I don't give them the the benefit of the doubt. I think that's fair that they were not aggressive. And we talked about it like 
there were a bunch of bullpen arms that were available to them that they just balked at. For whatever reason, they decided, you know what? We would rather bring back TJ McFarland. Nick Whitgren's our guy that we're placing the bet on. We're going to go out and we're going to sign Drew Verhagen. Like, That's different, though. If they decide to do that and you want to be critical of them and not taking the Andrew Chafin or going out there and acquiring um, all offseason, I, I was saying that they needed to get a guy that fills in that eighth or ninth inning role as opposed to somebody that's in the sixth or the seventh. They They missed there, clearly. But this is different. This is a separate conversation now. Now we're talking about the trades. And if you're looking at the deals recently, like the last five years or so, they've been pretty good at trading, man. Even the Luke Voigt trade, like you look at it, that, that got you Giovanni Gallegos. You look at the Henesis Cabrera trade, that that worked out pretty well Juan for Yepes. them. These end up, they, they have a pretty good track record at this point of winning deals. Now, what I don't want them to do is to get into this mindset of unless we are a clear win, we're not making a deal because that's what it's been with Goldie. You you won that deal from the day that you made it and you knew it. The Arenado deal, we knew immediately that is a win for John Mosellock. You can't just expect to fleece the opposing team. It's going to hurt anytime you make a deal that is for a really good player or it should hurt unless the other team's incompetent. See Colorado Buffalo Rockies, Sabres. that type of thing. But if you're making a deal at the deadline, it's going to hurt. But when you look at the prospects, I think this gets into the question of, okay, what are you willing to give? Because we keep talking about this, and I feel like we add more players to this We had like four in the office today. (laughs) That it's like, okay, so they're not trading Walker, Gorman, Herrera. Tebow went through the top 20 and named every single one of them. You look at the big league roster, you're not trading. Jake Walsh, untouchable. Arenado's untouchable. Donovan's untouchable. Edmund, Goldie. Tebow said Packy Naughton's untouchable. (laughs) Dylan Carlson's not going anywhere. Here's a question for you guys. If you're going with the big league roster... Who is tradable? Like, what from your current major league roster are you even willing to entertain? And, obvi- like, the better the player, the better the players you're hoping to get in return. But who would you be willing to entertain in trade possibilities? Off of the MLB roster right the major now? major league current roster. I would entertain a Tyler O'Neill trade. I would entertain a Juan Yepes trade. Um, Tanner, are you, are you in agreement with the two that he said so far? Yepes, I... I hesitant on that one i think he's your dh bat next year. understandable but don't you say you said Al- o'neill too right yeah but could an alec burleson be a dh bat for you next year maybe couldn't i could jordan walker O'Neal, be a O'Neal's dh bat one for that you I next would, year the, i understand there's frustration with the injury history with o'neill but i and yeah he would probably bring in a lot but i mean he's such a he's a five-tool player when healthy and right i i can't consider trading him uh, uh, if he never hits he understandable never hits. but me saying entertain means i'm not trading tyler o'neill for madison bumgarner i'm trading tyler o'neill for a legit pitcher pablo lopez, for the future now the a's wouldn't want him because they just pablo lopez is who i have him on. now but but even pablo lopez I, I think i'm thinking bigger than pablo lopez if i'm trading tyler o'neill i don't think there's anything bigger than pablo lopez at the deadline. unless you're putting some type of package together and i don't know who that's for you know maybe yeah. if, if if shane bieber ever gets traded like i'm thinking big because entertaining doesn't mean I'm just pulling the trigger on a Madison Bumgarner trade. Other than those, I mean, I mean, would you entertain an Andre Pallante trade? That's the next name that I was going to bring up. Because I think Pallante would have value right now. I do too. I, and the question is, are you selling high on Pallante? I love Pallante. I think he's a really good player, and I would love to see him in the Cardinals uniform was, for the next 10 years. I was thinking about that last night too, because you made the comp to Dakota Hudson earlier in the show and Hudson had one, his first year was incredible. And everyone was like, this guy's a, a rotation stud. Is that happening with Pallante right now? I think Pallante is a really nice bridge guy in your bullpen. Like he's really good in that role. 
I think he could be a really solid four or five starter for you. I'm not sure there's a ton of upside to be more than that because of the lack of swing and miss stuff. He's got really good spin rate. He does not allow hard contact hardly at all. He misses barrels in a way that, like I said, that he's similar to Dakota Hudson. Dakota Hudson, he gets hit hard sometimes. Palante doesn't. Palante's ability to spin changes the way that he can get some of the contact. So he is probably, he has higher upside than what Hudson is right now. If he was offered in a deal, I do think he could get you something. I think he could. I I would be hesitant on Palante just because I think he can be a guy that is going to be a Swiss Army knife that a lot of teams don't have. And even the Cardinals, like right now, I mean, you look at it, in the rotation, what were they missing? They were missing a starter. Who can fill that role? Palante. What are they missing in the bullpen? They're really missing kind of a middle relief guy, depending on how you feel in Oviedo. But if you put Palante in that role, you'd feel really comfortable in that spot. One guy that I would potentially put on this list would be a Brendan Donovan. I, and the reason I say this... You be, would trade him? I would consider the, the move. It, I'd probably he's not entertain untouchable it too. for me because I have a guy like whoa. that in Tommy Edmond. Tommy Edmond and Brendan Donovan are essentially <laughs> well, kind of the same player. how in my long book. does this happen with yeah. Brendan Donovan? When you mentioned his underlying numbers, his bad yeah, He's probably closer to a 260, 270 yeah. hitter than yeah. what you're watching right now. No. I'm not trading Brendan Donovan. And I, I, that, that guy is a winning I, baseball player, and I need guys like that on my but roster. But I do think that if you're going that route, it hurts your attempt to win a World Series this season. Yeah. Like Juan Yapez, and I can understand the argument on that side of it, and Tyler O'Neill, but Tyler O'Neill's been hurt a lot this season. But Juan Yapez, it hurts, but do you have guys who can be DH hitters for you right now? And that's kind of a Brendan Donovan if Tyler O'Neill is back. You see what I'm saying? I get it. I, I just view Brendan Donovan as he's kind of the Swiss Army knife that you already have in Tommy Edmond. And, and I, but Tommy I also, Edmond's not a Swiss Army knife anymore. He's a shortstop. I'm also not sure what value Brendan Donovan has on the trade market. Yeah. Like, I, I think he has value, definitely. Because everyone's probably thinking I, what we are. Yeah, they, they can all see the numbers that we do, where the batting average on balls in play is crazy well, high. I, he was I not a, a top like prospect. Polante, who's not getting a lot of swing and miss, won't have a lot of value. Like, the that, spin, that's though. The, the, the spin is it, what I think do, teams value. Do you entertain in Harrison Bader? No. I, think I don't Bader think he has enough value on, yeah. the, uh, on the trade market, with especially with the injuries. Yeah, I just don't think there's a team that, like, you're trading to guys, to teams that are sellers, and those teams that are sellers are not very good. Yeah, Harrison Bader has values to a winning club. Matthew Libertor? I would. I think I would entertain it, because if I'm getting a guy who I have control over, like, again, if Pablo Lopez is the guy you're going after, I'm getting a guy for three years where you don't know him with Matthew Libertor. I, I would entertain the Libertor one. I, I still think Libertor is better than what we've seen. I agree. But I would I would definitely, I think the Cardinals view him as untouchable, but I, I would consider making the move to think of other ones. starter. So we've got Tyler O'Neill, Juan Yepes, and this is just the list of guys that maybe you would consider yeah. if somebody was willing Someone to give you a called. good offer. O'Neill, Yepes, Palante, Libertor, Donovan. Is that fair? Is Jack Thompson in this list? I would consider it. I, I don't know what the value is, but Again, I think I, I'd I think consider it. Cardinals would say he's untouchable, but I would say yes. What about what Oviedo? I don't think Oviedo. No, would I don't. Have any value. I don't think Oviedo's got value. He would be kind of like a eh, okay. We can throw yeah. him in the package. Yeah. That's the problem. So when yeah. you look at your prospects, then no one Walker, no one Gorman, no one Herrera, no one Mason Wynn, and then we start talking after that. Yeah, I mean, I I think you I don't have... think they're going to trade. By the way, uh, Gordon Grassefo, I I think he's untouchable I, for them. And I'll add a couple other names in there. I, <laughs> Here I think, it comes. No, no, Here I, comes I, I think it's true. I'm not sure the Cardinals would move these guys. Michael McGreevy, they think he can be a like a Jack Flaherty type. Ace by the way, McGreevy might be ready to go next year. Like this exactly. time next year, might be ready to go for your rotation. And that also makes me wonder about a guy like Dakota Hudson or Andre Pallante. If they traded Dakota Hudson at the deadline this year, would you guys be shocked? If he was a part of whatever the deal is that they're 
potentially no, going to pull off. I wouldn't be shocked because you could get a really good package with him because he's an ace. Uh, depending on the, depending on the no, but depending on the team, like Miami would have shocked me. No, because they'd replace Pablo Lopez in the deal with a Dakota Hudson. Oakland it would shock me that Oakland would take a Dakota Hudson. Uh, he doesn't seem to fit what they would be wanting. And plus, he makes like over a million dollars, so he can't be on the Oakland A's. Uh, but to, He's got two years left in arbitration. Yeah, after this year. Oakland, I can't see, but like a team like Miami or depending on who else you wanted to go, like Arizona, some of those teams I could picture him being a part of the package. Oakland is just the one that I can't see taking on uh, Dakota Hudson. But to add to the prospects, I th- Michael McGreevy, I said, I think Joshua Baez right now is untouchable. One, because you don't he's get hurt. any value. He's hurt. He's I know, but, ball, but, but he's number six already. He's in low A ball right now playing for them. Uh, they, I think they're very but high on Joshua Baez. This goes to the conversation Baez. of our outfielders. Teak, you got a lot Hintz of outfielders. too. Tink Hentai can get because, uh, I mean, the dude had what, eight, unreal. eight strikeouts last night. And, I mean, like three th- it looked nasty. Opposing hitters are batting 119 yeah. against him. Like, that feels like a Sandy Alcantara kind of situation. He's allowed 15 base runners on the year. He has 36 strikeouts. <laughs> but, like, the, is absurd. but, like, to say Joshua Baez, and I can understand some people not wanting to because, I mean, he was hyped up when the Cardinals drafted him. But still, this is the outfield conversation. Like you've got Bader, who's there. You've got Dylan Carlson. You've got Tyler O'Neill. You've got Brendan Donovan. You've got Juan Yepes. You've got Jordan Walker. Like at some point, you can't have nine outfielders playing three positions. I get it, but Baez is a couple years away, though. Like when O'Neill comes up, and his arbitration I think ends in what two years, if I'm not mistaken. That's about the time that they're basically envisioning probably Baez taking over Walker. for Tyler O'Neill. Yeah, Walker's going to be in that spot. Well, and Dylan Carlson's in right field, so we're like, talking about one position. There's only nine spots, and this is where it gets into the question that I've I, I've had frequently in the past about the Cardinals: is okay, you've got these guys that are on the verge. What's the role? Like, are they more valuable to you by contributing to your major league club or are they more valuable to you by piecing them in a deal for another player, like a three for one type of a trade? And that's where I do wonder with maybe it is a Burleson or one of these pitchers that we're talking about, like if they do get to the place at the deadline where Steven Matz is healthy and your rotation no longer includes one of Hudson or um, Palante, I I think that's when you have serious conversations about like a, Palante or Hudson, one of those two, plus a Burleson, plus a real prospect. And I don't know who that would be, but somebody in the mid-levels of their prospects right now. Say Libertor, I'd say. Sure, somebody like that. Something like that for probably a Frankie Montas. That's the kind of thing that I think might be of interest to a team like that. Is that that. where we're going now, Montas? I'm going to call him Montas from now on. Because, I mean, I just... Eno said it yesterday, and he lives there, so I'm assuming it's Montas. I'm not sure, man. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kiley. Yeah, so we got to figure out his name first. Coming up next, let's dive into some NHL quick hitters, including a former Blues player that might be of interest for them to fix their fourth line. We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. Felt like pregame was starting. Let's go. That's not the NFL quick hitters. This is NHL Wait, quick hitters. Oh, oh, okay. We're doing NHL quick hitters. T-Bone. I think we need to get a uh, hot stove season open that we make for ourselves. We should have a hot stove segment every day. Every day. NHL hot stove for the next two weeks. Well, baseball's hot stove. Can we come up with like a another one? Something about ice. Icy. I see hot. No. 
I love icy hot patches, by the way. Something chill, chill, chill. We're going to figure this out. Hot, hot, hot. Well, no, Something we just said like we're that. not doing hot. I know. It's ice. We'll, we'll, we'll I, brainstorm off ice, 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 baby. <laughs> do, 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 do. Let's dive into some NHL quick hitters. Alex, I don't know how much credibility they have, Whoa. but this is uh, radio and we have to pass along Can the news or speculation. Everything. There's some speculation in Boston that Jim Montgomery could become the next head coach of the Boston Bruins. If he doesn't become the next head coach in Boston, the expectation at this point is that he will get a job somewhere. What does that mean for the Blues if he does end up getting a job as a head man somewhere else? It's That's going to be fascinating. And I mean, so it's Boston and Winnipeg right now because I don't think he's going to Dallas or Detroit. The only person going to Detroit is one of the Tampa Bay assistant coaches. This is this is a hit to a couple of different areas on the Blues roster. Uh, one biggest is the penalty kill i mean the penalty kill this season for the blues was fifth best in the national hockey league and i believe last year they were middle of the pack if not towards the bottom of the national hockey league yeah they were 25th in penalty kill last year that's what changes first your penalty kill you're losing the penalty kill coach here but you're also losing a guy who can work with younger players who's a big asset on the forward side look no further in the production of jordan Cairo this season ivan barbashev you're, you're losing a very impactful voice in that locker room and you're going to have to find a way to bring somebody else in who can take over the penalty kill and who can also continue that coaching staff with these younger players. I don't know who that is. I, I mean, Craig Berube, I'm sure, would have guys in mind that can help in that aspect, but that penalty kill is a massive blow. To go from 25th to 5th in the NHL in Huge. one season, that's Jim Montgomery written all over it. Yeah, I, this would stink, but... You got to feel happy for him. I also oh, yeah. think, so here's something else to keep in mind. Jim Montgomery came to St. Louis for a reason. Mm-hmm. It was because it was a good situation for him, both personally and professionally. If you have other former head coaches or high-level assistants that are looking to advance their career, Alex, I think it is helpful that you just saw somebody else. He showed you the formula. You can come to St. Louis, work underneath Craig Berube for a couple of years, and you can then go advance your career as well. So I think it could help them in terms of the recruiting tool mm-hmm. of getting whoever that next guy is in here. Yeah, I think so. Okay. Can I throw something that just popped up in our hot or in our not hot stove, but our hit quick hitters? Sure. So Elliot Friedman. No. Elliot Friedman is reporting that Tampa is apparently talking to Ryan McDonough to find a trade fit um, out of Tampa Bay because they're trying to lock up uh, uh, Nick Paul and Andre Palat. He makes 6.75 mil for the next four years. But Ryan McDonough, who is a lefty, he's got a full note trade clause. He's 33. <laughs> but my man plays physical. This was the dude who crushed. This is, it. This is the one. This is interesting. This is it. Now, I don't. It's a lot of money. I don't care. You probably wouldn't have to give up a lot because they're trying to unload that 6.75 mil. This might is be there the an injury we don't know about? Is no. there something more to this they, story? They want to lock up Andre Palat. They want to lock up Nicholas Paul. And they so feel in order they're deep to lock in, up to defense. two guys that are middle six forwards, they're willing to give up a legit like well, top four defenseman? That's what surprises me. But like I said, Elliot Friedman is the one reporting this. And Elliot Friedman is one of the most intactful insiders in the NHL. 33. But you don't really worry about age as much Mm-mm. with guys on the blue line. How long is his contract? He, uh, his contract runs yeah, through 25, 26.75. So he's going to be 37 at the end of it. Might not look pretty. But, I mean, again, this guy has been to back-to-back-to-back to back to back Stanley Cups. 
something to keep in mind when it comes to the trade front. And maybe Tampa looks at it and says, we got to get rid of him, but maybe we can eat a little of this salary. I doubt they would. And mind you, he has he's, a... I mean, he's worth 6.75, oh, yeah. right? Oh, absolutely. Go look at his Go look at his numbers. I mean, the guy is great in the defensive zone. He's a penalty killer. He's very physical. He's the guy that you want. I, I mean, like I said, 37 might stink, but if he's good and he stays in shape, which I don't think he's missed a lot of hockey... This is a player who could fill that 18, 19, 20 minutes. This guy could be the prototypical player to play with Colton Pareko. So I guess here's what I'm asking, Alex. Like, why? What, what are we missing here that they wouldn't be interested they're, in? They're minus $2 million in cap space right now. And they have Andre Pilat, Nicholas Paul, both unrestricted free agents. Oh, I'm agents. talking about from the Blues perspective. Oh, I'm sorry, on the Blues perspective. I, like, is it going to cost? No, This I think this would probably cost you some type of draft pick slash prospect that's not going to kill you because they're trying to offset salary. You have to answer the question, do you want to take on $6.75 million for the next four years for a guy who's 33 years old? I mean, my answer is yes. I mean, I'm kind of with you. Like I said, I mean, this guy matches a lot of them and he's played for the New York Rangers. He was the captain for the New York Rangers. So I'm assuming he would be familiar with Pavel Buchnevich. And of course he's playing with Patty Maroon, who he's familiar with St. Louis. I mean, just looking at kind of some of the numbers, he's, he's a really good player, man. He's, now, he's top, also playing for a good team, but he's a top four defenseman. He was the number one defenseman for the longest time with the New York Rangers. If you're looking at the offensive zone starts, like he is a defensive minded defenseman in terms of the way that they utilize him. And sometimes it's as important to look at, um, what the what the numbers are of how they're used as it is what they produce because it sometimes that can take into account what the other players are on the ice and let's be honest he plays on a very good team. So this is this is Friedman's piece. According to multiple sources, the Lightning are working with McDonough to see if there's a team he'd consider a trade to. It's a very hard thing for Tampa to think about. McDonough is a tremendous player and is hugely popular among his teammates who are disappointed to hear of this possibility. It's not what Tampa wants to do but may have to do. He has a full no trade clause. If he would agree to it, he jumps to number one on my list. I also the, the full no trade clause also should limit their ability to get a massive haul because that he, changes where yeah. how many teams can bid on him. Well, think about this, too. I, I think you would probably have to give up. So they don't have a first round pick in the next two years. I don't think you'd have to give up a first round pick unless they're going to eat some of that money. Maybe it's a prospect in a third round pick in this year's draft. My question would be, and just throwing this out there, because if you acquire him, you're probably looking to move on from Scandella somehow. Could you include Scandella in this trade? Probably not, because then that they're they're still in cap problems, and they're, they're offsets, the re- it's offsets about three million dollars. That's why I asked. Which, in all reality, only offsets about a million of free cap space for them because they're two million down. And the reason they're doing this, like Friedman said in his piece, he doesn't want to. The reason they're doing this is because they want Palat and Nicholas Paul, and both of those guys combined are probably going to cost you six or seven million dollars. Man, I. So you would reality need to probably trade them. I don't know, some type of prospect not named Bull Duke or Neighbors. Give him like someone that would make... Give him a Klim Costin. 
and a draft pick. Nico Mikola replaced on the defensive side. No, I maybe. don't think you need to give a Mikola. I think you would because that's a million dollars that they're taking on. I think they want somebody who's not making NHL money. Well, they're probably going to have to replace him in their lineup with somebody. So I, maybe they've it got would, guys though. They do. They've got guys in the minors that can come up and play. And I mean, they've got this Jan Ruda who's going to be a free agent that they could lock up and play. They've got Chernak for one more year. You've got the reason they're looking at doing this is because Sergachev has played himself into a top defenseman. Man, I this is a this is a big deal if you could pull this off. Now somebody said you wouldn't be able to get Matthew Kachuk then. I don't think that's necessarily true because if you were going to give Nick Letty 5 million dollars, you're talking about an extra million a million and a half. It's not going to be easy. But I also think your biggest hole for this upcoming season is left side defenseman to play with Pareko. Yeah, I mean, this is this is what you're missing. And he is. I mean, this is huge in terms of the way that he's used. He's probably better than Chikrin oh, like, as a is. defensive minded defenseman. Now, Chikrin is young and he's cost controlled. He's he's two million dollars cheaper on a per year basis. And so you hope that he becomes better over the next four years than what you would get right now out of McDonough. But in the here and now, like if you're trying to win a cup next year and you're thinking about keeping Tarasenko and extending O'Reilly and bringing back this Ra- is him. David Perron, like this is, this is you, the move out of his next four years. And again, this is a guy, let me look at it because I don't know how much he's stayed healthy and a peek behind the curtain real quick. We were talking about this today, looking at how much money do the top teams have on their top four defensemen. It was around the $24 million range. This would put you right in that range with four guys making 6.5 and Dunno would be just yeah. a little bit more at 6.75. Like Chikrin, I think would probably be ideal just because of the salary purposes and you have more flexibility. But I mean, I mean, he's had injuries in the past. Like every defenseman's going to go through. He played 71 games in the regular season for Tampa Bay, but he played 23 games for the Tampa Bay Lightning in the playoffs, not just this year, but last year and 22 the year prior. I mean, he's a big time player. Let's get some of your thoughts on this. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. How do you feel about it? McDonough, Stanley Cup champion, two-time, went to the Cup this year. He's great defensively. He's okay on the penalty kill. He can do it if you ask him to. He's 33 years old. Four years left on his deal at $6.75 million per year. We just gave you our thoughts. I think we're all in. You're in, Alex. You're in, Tanner. I'm in. Tied for first. I'm in. It does make things difficult. Money-wise, this puts you a lot closer to the cap than what you would probably want to be. But it, man, I, I think you have to do this. If you could, if he, if you would agree to come to St. Louis, this is a do it no matter what. That's Alex Ferrario. He's Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. We'll get your thoughts on that on the other side. Six five seven eight zero is your comfort service text line. The one hundred and one ESPN app, by the way, loaded with a ton of awesome giveaways this month. If you already have it, check out the reward sections to see all the giveaways right now. If you don't have it yet, you gotta get it downloaded. You'll have a chance to win a portable Traeger grill, a rolling Yeti cooler, a signed Ryan O'Reilly blue jersey, so much more. All of that going on right now over on the one hundred and one ESPN app. We'll hear from you on the McDonough possibility next. You're on one hundred and one ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Air 
Comfort Service text line here at the end of this segment. We will give you a chance to win a pair of tickets to see Motley Crue, Def Leppard, Poison, and Joan Jett on July 5th. So stay tuned for that. You'll have to text in at 65780 to be involved in that opportunity. But if you missed it, Alex just relayed some really interesting news from Elliot Friedman that Ryan McDonough, a 33-year-old defenseman, two-time Stanley Cup winner with the Tampa Bay Lightning, is potentially available because the Tampa Bay Lightning want to free up some cap space to maneuver this offseason to bring back some of those forwards that they have, and they feel like they're deeper on their blue line than they are in the top six right now, or especially those middle six. So they got to free up some, some room. Ryan McDonough might be a guy that ends up on the trade market as a result. He has four years left at $6.75 million per season. He is a left-handed defenseman. He is from Minnesota. He might, this is speculation, have some history or know Justin Falk a little bit. So that certainly wouldn't hurt. In that regard, his wife, Tanner mentioned, he's, we're, we're really getting all Tanner, of slow down there. She's man. from Minnesota, dude. She's a Midwest girl. She is from Minnesota as well. And the reason why I do think sometimes this stuff is important is a lot of the time guys want to go closer to home or if they're like from New York. Some of those guys don't want to live in St. Louis. Right. Uh, some guys that are from like Quebec would prefer to go back to Canada. So it, I, I do think there is some history there. Um, but in this situation, he, he's from the Midwest. Mm-hmm. He has roots here in in this region. Man, I the, the more I think about it, the more I think it makes sense for the Blues. The one the one hesitation, of course, is the money. It, it's a lot of money to have on the blue line. But as Tanner mentioned in the last segment, this would put the Blues right in line with where some of the other contenders are in terms of what they're spending around that $24, $25 million. We did ask for some text. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Would you want to be in on this? Ryan McDonough, would you want to see the Blues make this move to trade for him? Uh, let's get to some of these, and I'll have you react to them as well. Uh, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Guys, he might just be too old to pay him $6 million per year. I would rather have a combination of Letty and Perron than McDonough. I don't think that they could afford Perron and McDonough. So Nick Letty is, let me double check because I want to make sure. I think Nick Letty's what, 31 years old? It's 31. Because my computer froze. So he's two years younger than Ryan McDonough. You've got McDonough for four more years. You'd probably have to sign Nick Letty to a four or five-year contract. You're talking about a two-year difference. Think about where Ryan McDonough is. stays fairly healthy. And he's got two Stanley Cups underneath his belt, three trips to the Stanley Cup final. Now, I know Nick Letty's got a couple of those trips to the final and one cup under his belt. But this is a guy who plays completely different from Nick Letty. Nick Letty is a puck mover. Ryan McDonough is a physical defenseman. If I'm getting that, like people wanted Ben Sherratt at the trade deadline. This, this is better than Ben Sherratt. Probably more expensive, although you would have been paying close to that if you acquired him. I can understand you looking at it and saying that's so much money to tie up. But if you're going to pay Nick Letty $5 million, why not pay a million and a half more and get a guy who, in my opinion, is better than Nick Letty? That's where I'm at. This is this is a blue chip type of talent. This is a blues player. Like he he fits what they're looking for. He is he's a bigger defenseman. He's like six one, two hundred and fifteen pounds. 
he fits that as well. He fits a lot from the three, one, four guys. I like McDonough, but not at that kind of money. I think that would be too much to invest in the defense uh, side of things. He should not be making more in my opinion than Krug or Falk. They contribute, contribute more in bigger offensive roles. I think I'm out on him. Also, I believe that that money would make it impossible for the blues to be able to acquire Matthew Kachuk this off season or next. Here's the thing on Matthew Kachuk guys. He is a want, not a need. You have all of these players that have scored goals for you. And yes, I know Matthew Kachuk is the prototypical St. Louis blue, but so is Ryan McDonough. And in my opinion, you got beat by Colorado because they were in front of the net a lot more. And Ryan McDonough plays a nasty style in front of his own net. And this does not mean that you're out on Matthew Kachuk because seven and a half million dollars would be coming off of the books next season when Vladimir Tarasenko is an unrestricted free agent. It's not going to be easy, but Ryan McDonough makes you a a legit Stanley Cup contender. If you aren't already there, it makes you closer to it. Can I throw out, I mean, naturally, this is going to be even bigger news than what we're talking about right now. Yeah. Kevin Durant just requested a trade from the Brooklyn Nets. I thought he wanted Kyrie Irving back. <laughs> yes, not. That was a lie. Kyrie Irving's back, and he's like, get them, get me all the way out of here. That dude doesn't even play basketball. He's going to cost us how much money? Now he wants out. Now he wants. It's because he saw the Photoshop of him wearing a Portland Trailblazers jerseys next to Damian Lillard. Or tinfoil. The Nets did just acquire, acquire Royce O'Neal from the Jets. Maybe he doesn't like that. Yeah, that's guy. probably he's true. Like, Royce O'Neal. This guy's a big move. Uh, my Miami Heat. That's got to be where he goes. Oh, see, I think at Portland. I I don't think Portland. I, I don't think he would go there. Really? I, I think to play my, with Lillard. Miami feels like the spot. They've got the assets. Yeah. That yeah. is where guys guys love playing Damn. in Miami. And if they I were, could have they Durant, were very, they're they, a good team. They thought the guy that was going to be the next guy to join Butler was uh, Kyle Lowry, and apparently they were very disappointed what they got in year one. Send him in this deal. Lowry can play with. Uh, the Nets, or they could just buy him out Man. and can start the whole process. D- Durant with Bam Adebayo. Oh, I wonder if you have to fun. send Bam Adebayo oh, in this kind of a deal. I don't deal. think I would do that I, I if I'm Miami. Hero, Duncan Robinson, that's probably more of what they're looking for. Like you probably go Hero, Robinson, maybe you have to fill, fit in uh, Victor Oladipo for yeah. salary cap space and then a bunch of picks, pick swaps, all that stuff. Um, but yeah, big news in the NBA, big news nationally. Kevin Durant has just requested a trade from the Brooklyn Nets. Going back to the Ryan McDonough, because I just texted our insider, Jeremy Rutherford of The Athletic, and I said, would they be interested? This is what JR responded with. They'd have to check it out, but 6.75 mil would chew up their cap, be around 25 million for top four defensemen, not much room for Perron or anything else they want to do. Plus, it takes him to 36 years old. JR said he's going to call around on it to find out, but he said it might be tough. It, it would definitely be tough, but when I look at what other teams are spending, We talked about this a little bit earlier today, and I do think it is really important context. The Vegas Golden Knights are spending $25 million more than that, actually, on their top four defensemen. So is Boston. So is Edmonton. So are Winnipeg, uh, New York, Colorado. Minnesota is right in that range, I believe. So they've got... 13 19 about 22 million dollars invested not to be there and matt dumba is about to come up on his contract extension in the foreseeable future as well i think he has one year left on his deal so these teams that are all in that range that the blues are in terms of like what are 
we trying to accomplish right now goal wise they're all spending this amount of money on their top four and you have nine million dollars available to you and look you got some rfas that you're gonna have to lock up it really would take up probably a majority of your cap and make the david perron thing hard but you do have some money on the books that you could find a way to shift around if you'd opt to go that direction so what does that mean that would mean it would be a requirement you have to trade this offseason barbashev and you got to find a way to get rid of the scandela money here Man, I don't think they will do this. This is kind of a Cardinals conversation of like, what should they do? What will they do? They could buy out Marco Scandella. And if you trade Ivan Barbashev in a deal, maybe even in this deal, honestly, and you are able to shed that salary with a buyout for Scandella, there's your money. That that essentially is the money that you need to be able to re-sign David Perron and to trade for um, McDonough. Man. That is a really interesting spot. Uh, it's a lot of money, and <clears throat> excuse me, and it's a tough position to be in if you're Doug Armstrong. But top pairing defensemen don't come along every day. And to me, I don't remember what Jay Bomeister was when they acquired him from Calgary, but I think he was close to like the 31, 32 years old range. And you kept him obviously up until when he played. I'm not saying they're the same person, but damn, this could be good. Six five seven eight zero. If you are the texter number one hundred and one, and you can tell us what we talked about during the junk drawer today, it was something I did not want, but it directly impacted one of Tanner's favorite teams. If you can tell us what we talked about during the junk drawer today, your texter number one hundred and one, you are the winner of a pair of tickets to see. Motley Crue, Def Leppard, Poison, and Joan Jett. You can find tickets now at 101ESPN.com or the free 101 ESPN app. Fastlane coming up next. We'll see you tomorrow at 11 here on 101 ESPN. Uh? You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.